All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates of TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Richie Von Sexington. How's things, Richie? Good. The man from Sky has just introduced that to my life, which means that I can now watch an entire five hours of WWE each week, on top of everything else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I um, was flicking through my... It's not Sky over here, it's Foxtel. And, um, our box earlier, because we recently got a new box and we've changed our plan and whatnot since we don't watch much of it anymore, and realised that I didn't think Raw was on auto-record anymore and I'm about 30 episodes behind now because I've not watched it in, well, probably over a year. It's safe to say, as far as I can tell with Raw, what happens is you just watch one and that's you done until WrestleMania season because every other show will follow the same pattern. Pretty much. I've not even watched the last few pay-per-views, to be honest. I've not even watched the last few episodes of NXT. So I'm definitely well and truly behind now, and I'm about to go on holiday. So it's not going to get any better. They're going to have to do something interesting to get me back. No, no. I've, uh, it's when they turned Braun heel. I was like, really? Is that is that your plan? Yeah, see, now I was I obviously keep up online and Twitter especially, and when I saw that it was going to be what looked like a heel shield taking on Braun and Braun was going to get himself some backup, I was interested in what where that was going, but they reverted to type before they could get me interested enough to tune in. Now, they, they, again, with Braun proving that you can have lightning in a bottle and still screw it up. <laughs> Excuse me. Wow. Big sneeze there. That's how <laughs> I was coming for about to... a minute. That's how allergic you are to the Braun Strowman uh, heel turn. <laughs> yeah, and of course, the biggest problem really is wrestling used to be so much better, as we're about to talk about now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could the writers could do with looking at the Wrestle Rock Rumble and, uh, you know, learning a thing or two. I think they uh, patterned their formatting of off Raw and how long it should go for off this show. <laughs> Pretty much. It's mad to think that this show's three hours 41 and it's, this is this is a special occasion and Raw now runs for about three hours 20 if you can be taken into account the overrun because obviously you can't squeeze it all into just the three hours. No. So, as you may have guessed, we're here to talk about the Wrestle Rock, uh, Wrestle Rock Rumble, Wrestle Rock 1986. Um, and we're comparing that up against the WWF's uh, one of their flagships event, uh, flagship events of 1986 that isn't WrestleMania 2. We're looking at the big event, um, another big show that maybe it do- isn't quite as famous in the annals of time, but certainly had a lot of historical significance, that one. It seemed to feel like the, the, the prototype for their big shows, I thought, the big event. WrestleMania 2 is a weird experiment. It's like the second season of... Uh, American Horror Story, where it just all goes horribly wrong because they, they kind of miss what was good about what they were doing. But I thought the big event was like, yep, yep, we've got a bit of a pattern now. WrestleMania 2 seemed to be just like a throwaway show just to do one better than than Starcade and JCP, didn't it? Whereas the big event felt like a real big show. Yeah, yeah, I've watched WrestleMania 2 not that long ago for my sins. And... I was doing it as part of watching all the WrestleManias, which I don't think I was going to try and do in a year, but I don't think I'm going to manage it. But you watch one and three, and then there's just this abomination in the middle that uh, just makes very little sense. In fact, it does more damage than it does good. Yeah, that was one of the few shows I said to you when we decided we were going to travel through the 80s, was I don't want to watch WrestleMania 2. That was one of the very few requirements of this journey. No, I mean, I can't even remember work out on WrestleMania 2. Uh, what the rest of the audience is doing when they go to another venue 
because I don't think I'd be overly happy. It's like that Raw, was it Raw 25, where they just dump people in the old uh, Madison Square Gardens, but basically didn't give them anything to do for three hours. Yeah, I think they used the very similar setup where they had video screens and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that was that was the show we didn't watch. <laughs> so we won't we won't go too far into that. Um, the shows we did watch, however, there's some good numbers here. Wrestle Rock '86, um, which was held in the Herbert Humphrey uh, Metrodome in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the base of the AWA, managed to pull in 23,000 fans uh, on April 20th, 1986. The only real downside to that is they held it in a stadium that held over 60,000 uh, fans. So even though they got what was a pretty big crowd for them in, it still looked pretty empty. Yeah, it doesn't do them any favours. If you're watching that, uh, this is like Vern's last gasp. And I can understand what he's doing, but even though you've got 23,000 people in there, you've only got a one-third full stadium. It looks rubbish. If you're like a casual, casual fan or just a WWF fan and flick over, you just see that and you're like, ah, look at it, they can't even draw any fans. And they've, yeah, they've, they've obviously not set it up in a way that hides that fact at all. You can definitely tell that the stadium is a third full. Um, unlike the other show that we watched, the big event, uh, which held pl- took place a few months later, August 28th, 1986, in the Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, Canada, um, various reports on this. The WWF claimed that it held over 74,000 fans in this event, Um I've seen other sources online that say it was something more like 64,000, but still a very big crowd, the biggest WWF crowd to date. And I believe, I think it's mentioned in the show, but I think the actual biggest uh, wrestling crowd in North America up until that point. Oh, this is a big show. This looks impressive. And uh, like I say, they they even know how to fill the stadium up. If you compare that to like, there's empty seats on the hard camera in the AWA show. You just wouldn't get that. I don't even think then with the WWF. Someone would have said, move some people around. Yeah, I mean, if you think they're going to the trouble of, like, if there's 64,000 people in that stadium, uh, you can't see an empty seat on camera. And even still, they're trying to tell you there's another 10,000 in there. Whereas the AWA, the second it starts and opens up, you can see empty seats everywhere. So, you know, definitely the WWF was as you can see, far ahead of everyone else at this time because they knew how to promote for, uh, or produce for television. So big, big difference there. Um, on that note, which one did you watch first? I went for the big event. I uh, I thought I'd I'd leave the uh, AWA, you know, savour it. As did I. So should we go over and check out what the WBF did in their big show in Canada? Oh, yeah, why not? Because when I walk in Exhibition Stadium and thousands upon thousands of Hulkamaniacs are going crazy. My blood turns to ice cold water running through my veins. And I can't help but say you turn me on, Toronto. I can't wait. Especially to get in the ring with Orndorff. Well, you know, we got a lot of problems here in America, Canada. A lot of traitors, man. We got a lot of people right now in our nation's capital. Selling us out, man, for diamonds, money, gold, jealousy, or greed. They're selling human lives out for money. And Orndorff, you walked that same line with those traitors, brother. You sold out friendship, the eternal bond that I've tried to establish. Even though there was a bead of sweat between our hands every time, I didn't realize that it was a sheet of sweat that separated jealousy and friendship. Orndorff, 
You sold out at the wrong time. You were on the verge of greatness. Now you're on the verge of destruction. And when I get you in Canada, I got one point to prove. That I'm an American brother, and even though I love Canada, keep your nose out of it, Toronto. This is between me and Mr. Wonderful. No scientific wrestling, no reversals. Nip and tuck, strikes, bat and tear. Warned off, I got a lot to tear up. Under the Stars Exhibition Stadium, Raider Shine, Thursday, August 28th. Alright, so the big event starts with a view from a helicopter flying over Toronto, mixed in with some action clips from the WWF, narrated by Mean Gene Oakland. Um, a little bit of a different start. It finishes out with little clips of the names they consider big draws for the show. So Hulk Hogan, Paul Orndorff, um, Adrian Adonis, and Jake Roberts. Um, Jake Roberts, on the other hand, though, while the other three, it sort of named them and showed them hitting an offensive move, the Jake Roberts one was him taking a chop off Steamboat. So that was a little bit of a weird little spliced-in clip, but, yeah, you can see what they're going for here, a little bit of an action opening video. Nice start, although I do like the idea that they're giving, get, trying to say that Gene's in that helicopter. There is no way Gene is in that helicopter. It's just rock <laughs> footy. Here I am, hi, the city. No, you're not, Gene. <laughs> and, yeah, um, as I mentioned earlier, they say this is the largest crowd ever for a wrestling show, um, Gene tells us. And, yeah, I looked it up, and I can't find any evidence to show they were lying on that one. So, pretty impressive. There's no bigger... I can't think of any other shows that would be bigger than this. I mean, it's a, it's a stadium. Even WrestleMania 1 wasn't that big. Yeah, I'm not... I'm, I didn't look far enough to see whether there is anything bigger in Japan or anything like that. But certainly in America, as far as I can tell, this was at the time the biggest crowd of all time. So very, very cool. What wasn't so cool was the commentary team of Gorilla Monsoon, Johnny Valiant, and the big cat Ernie Ladd. Good God, they were awful. You've... <laughs> yeah. I mean, Gorilla's Gorilla, but Johnny Valiant can't play off him and spends his time in character. And Ernie Ladd sounds like he's having a conversation with someone else. It just sort of pops up from time to time with useless trivia. <laughs> I forgot he was on there. Yeah, I agree. He just, he's It was very inconsistent. This is something they get right pretty quickly, but yeah, this was before they got it right. Um, and the first match we go to is the Killer Bees taking on the Funks, but don't get your hopes up because Terry Funk isn't here. It's Hoss Funk and Jimmy Jack Funk. Oh, yeah, because when, when they say, we've got the Funks on, these are the two you want. I don't want to see Dory and uh, Terry at all. <laughs> um, we Before we even get started, um, Gorilla tells us this is tag team action personified, so get your Gorilla-isms in if you like to count such things. He starts to see me get a hip toss. <laughs> yeah. We get a hip toss from Blair and then a slam on both the heels. Uh, Jimmy Jack Funk is wearing a stupid-looking Zorro mask, and that's something that just makes me shake my head at this time. It's um, hard to imagine that Dory wanted to be stood next to some guy stealing his name wearing a stupid mask. Nah, it, it, there's no way he went, yeah, that Zorro mask. Let's uh, let's all get it. <laughs> yeah, Terry's at home shopping for new ones. <laughs> we get a crossbody for a two-count um, from... Oh, what's the other Killer Bee's name now? I've completely lost it. B. Brian Blair and... Uh, uh, someone or other. Jim Brunzel. Yep, Jim Brunzel. Thank you. I completely lost his name uh, for a two. 
We're going to slam by Haas and then um, another slam by Brian Blair and then hip toss. Ernie Ladd says um, slam about 10 times very quickly in succession. He just goes on to a little rant about slams. The body slam here, it's a really effective move and you see them pull out the slam because they know the slam is going to make a big difference to the match. They don't hope to finish the match with a slam, but they know a slam is going to soften them up for later. It's like, oh my God, shut up. All he's doing is covering for a fact is there's a period of this match where all they do is scoop slams. <laughs> Yeah, and it's pretty much all killer bees in the early part as well. Um, they get a sleeper as well, but Hoss makes the save. Um, I'd be very interested to compare here um, Hoss or Dory, his age uh, to Vern Gagne's age later. I meant to look this up and I completely forgot, but um, imagine if you just put those two in the one match and eliminated them both from, from the problem here. And then didn't even show it on TV. That'd even be better. Yeah, that would be great because um, the match they don't show on TV when we get to the AWA is, is possibly going to upset you a little bit. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, we go to the finish pretty quickly here because we get a jump cut. So I'm guessing this is the VHS release on the network because it is two hours, which when I looked at that, I was very happy to see. Um, but we see this a lot through the show where they just cut part of the match out. Um, they jump to the Killer Bees putting the masks on on the floor, which was their gimmick at the time. Um, and we get the fresh Killer Bee in, takes out both the heels, locks on an abdominal stretch. Jimmy Jack Funk nails him, though, but they do the switcheroo for a second time and pick up the small package um, in a inoffensive match, which I wrote was okay, but I'm not complaining about the jump cut because I wouldn't have wanted it to be any longer. What did you think? No, I, I thought it was not a bad start. The jump cut certainly helped because... It's another one of them because of their gimmick is this mask thing, which seems like a heel thing to me. I'd, I'd, I'm just mm. waiting for him to put the masks on, so it kind of makes everything else irrelevant. <laughs> they might, they, it, it, it's that kind of telegraphing that nothing important will happen right up until the point they put those masks on. So, you know, yeah, it doesn't make you wish you could end the podcast, but uh, on the other hand, it doesn't make you excited for the. Uh, Future of wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I will give you that one. So from there, we go to our next match, which is King Tonga, um, or Haku, as many of you know him, and as the commentators sort of swap his name halfway through this match, taking on Don Morocco with Mr. Fuji. I thought it would be interesting, although there is no way, and there's a fair few of them, there's no way I would wrestle in bare feet. No, absolutely not. This one's unusual um, for the fact that we get a jump cut before any action has taken place in the match. So um, there must have been quite a bit of house show stalling before the, the things got underway here. Well, Don Morocco's got both of his eyeballs and his tongue, so obviously they didn't have to jump because of uh, extreme violence. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, when, the, when we do get some action going, uh, Tonga hits a couple of hip tosses and a slam. Um, Johnny Valiant is pissing me off on commentary the second match in. I don't have any particular quotes to give you, but just know that he was awful. Um, Tonga hits a drop kick, um, sending Don Morocco over the top. And here it is. Ernie Ladd just calls him Haku. And then from there, they basically say, well, that's what he prefers to be called. And the rest of the match, they call him Haku. I mean, there's been less slicker name changes, I guess. Back to Johnny Valiant, I, yeah. I found that uh, he just became black background noise. I could hear Gorilla, Ernie Ladd doesn't say much, and then all you can hear is like, it's blah, 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 and it's Johnny Valiant. <laughs> There's nothing there. 
just talking utter shite. And um, on the subject of slick name changes, it'll never be as good as the um, name change with Slick from One Man Gang to Akeem. No, that, that was almost uh, unnoticeable. If you are a more modern wrestling fan, more modern than the mid-80s, uh, mid to late 80s, like myself, and you've never actually seen the transformation of the one-man gang to Akeem, uh, trust me, look it up on YouTube. It's the most offensive, racist, hilarious, amazing segment in wrestling history. If you've never seen it, you have to see it. Uh, I almost feel like I should put a content warning in, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> We get another jump cut in this one, and Tonga's working over the arm. Um, the ring here is a lot nearer to, um, is a lot nicer, sorry, to the ring that we saw in the Wrestling Classic last episode. It's getting a lot closer to the traditional blue canvas, um, red, white, and blue ropes, and logo turnbuckle pads here. We're not quite all the way there yet, but it's getting better. It also looks like it's been put up properly this time. Makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, as opposed to having some... Uh... I don't, I don't know who put it up before. It must have been like some YTS, lads. <laughs> Fuji trips Haku, and then Morocco goes to work on the knee. Um, drop Hits him with a knee lift as well. Fuji then canes him in the back and the ribs, and Morocco locks on a nerve hold, which thankfully we cut through. Um, we get... This is an interesting thing. I, I was very confused watching this, and I still haven't quite figured out what they were doing. But the referee with Haku in this nerve hole begins the sequence of lifting and dropping his arm. And I don't know if you caught it, but he lifted and dropped Haku's arm seven times without Haku keeping the arm up. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. I thought it was just Haku playing with the ref because I I would have thought even at that point, three times and you're out would have been a a settled rule. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure they mentioned that that's what they were doing on commentary as well. And no, he just kept dropping his arm and they carried on. So fair enough. Um, Haku comes back with a drop kick and then Morocco hits him um, with his leg into the post. Gets a two count uh, a couple of times for that, sorry. Hits him with a shin breaker and ca- goes back to work on the leg. Locks in a figure four, but Haku gets to the ropes. Morocco goes up top, but gets caught with a press slam. Um, Haku hits some chops and a top rope crossbody. And the bell rings, which I'm assuming means it's a time limit draw. Gorilla Monsoon tells us it's a happening. And we get the announcement that, yes, indeed, it is a time limit draw. So this was, again, okay, inoffensive, not too bad. And a couple of guys that I remember from childhood. So I was all right with this. I've, I've seen worse matches with Donny. Uh, I'm, I'm glad, it, again, it had a jump cut in because it, it wasn't... St- Amazing stuff. I, I guess at the time, though, these are just... I guess they were still kind of... The wrestlers treat them as house shows sometimes. There's a lot more house show bollocks than you would get at, uh, say, WrestleMania now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, the matches are slower and a bit more deliberate, so definitely a little bit of that. The stalling seems to have been minimalized or at least cut out, so it's it's been okay, but nothing spectacular. It doesn't... Make me want to take up, you know, hard drinking. So, I mean, that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah. I've stayed drug-free during this show. <laughs> this is not the show to make you want to get back into crack. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the next matchup, however, is Ted RCD, the strong man, taking on Tony Gurria. This has got to be right at the end of Tony Gurria's wrestling career. My, my only real note for the match just says, please, for the love of God, put him in a grey suit and have him break up a brawl or something. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, I think he was in one of the first ones of these we did, and he was looking like he was knocking on then, so uh, Ted Arcini is a proper unit. 
oh, he's a tank. Um, and the match basically consists of him hitting a slam, a back elbow, Greer hitting a drop kick to try and fight back, and then Arcidi putting him in a bear hug for the submission victory. Um, it was a real dominant display for Arcidi, although he didn't really do any moves that showed off his superhuman strength, but he definitely came across as the boss in this match. Yeah, it did. It, actually, I didn't mind it because it had a purpose, you know. Nice, nice, nice squash. For a hot dog, but not before I talk Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart. Tonight, it's going to be your uh, 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 man, adorable Adrian Adonis, if you will, going against the likes of the Junkyard Dog in front of the largest crowd in professional wrestling history. You better believe it, baby, but this is the greatest night of my life because, you see, tonight's the night I get even with a Junkyard Dog for everything he's done to Jimmy Hart. Everybody saw when Jimmy Hart got his pants ripped off by the Junkyard Dog. I saw that, I saw that. He branded me on national TV, on the Slammy Awards. What did he do? He came out and took my pants off again. Well, let me tell you something, dog. It's time for damage. That's right, we're going to get you Wait a minute, I thank you very much, gentlemen. Jimmy, the mouth of the South Heart. Along with his man, adorable Adrian Adonis. Definitely. Um, mean Gene now is with Jimmy Hart, and he's talking about revenge on JYD uh, before Adrian Adonis drags him off, and Gorilla Monsoon tells us it's a happening. And we go into that matchup, Adrian Adonis taking on the Junkyard Dog. I wasn't looking forward to this, given my uh, already lack of interest in the Junkyard Dog. But uh, I was like, maybe, you never know. I might change my mind. Spoiler warning, I didn't. The- <laughs> the worst part is Adrian Adonis goes to the ring and we get what sounds like the first piece of entrance music for the night for JYD and they immediately cut to the match in progress and skip the entrance. Yeah, the only bit I, I actually quite look forward to is his entrance music. I've um, I've got a lot of problems with this match, so let, let's get started. It starts with it underway and Junkyard Dog is using his chain in the ring while the match is going on, just smacking the shit out of Adrian Adonis, who's bleeding, and then eats some headbutts before powdering to the outside. And while Adrian Adonis is on the outside, the Junkyard Dog just, dog just shoves the referee over. Yeah, none of what he did made sense at all. I, I don't, I, I, he's a face, he's beating the ref up, and he's using a chain. None of that is face. Nope. Uh, Jimmy Hart sprays an atomizer into the eyes of JYD to get Adonis some comeback time. He hits a clothesline and a knee drop. Um, and yeah, I'm just struggling to figure out why JYD wasn't disqualified. Um, we get a, a bit of an outside brawl. And then Ch- Junkyard Dog sends Adrian Adonis into Jimmy Hart. And we get a bell. The referee raises the Junkyard Dog's hand. And we're told that it was for a countout. Um Basically, they brawled on the outside. They both got back in. There was a push of Adonis into Jimmy Hart. Adonis then got back out the ring, and immediately the bell rang. How the fuck was he counted out? I think that somebody dropped rather a large bollock in this one. Probably because, I don't know, I, I don't, you don't hear a lot of stories about Junkyard Dog uh, doing politicking, but there's got to be something here because he never loses. He's becoming almost like the second Jim Duggan here. He was very over when he came into the company. I, I get that, but I um, yeah, I'm struggling to figure out what they were trying to do with this match. The only possible thing I could think of was maybe Adonis wasn't meant to get back into the ring, and the spot was supposed to be JYD knocking, you know, hitting them with a noggin knocker from the apron or something. But he gets in the ring and then gets back out, and suddenly it's a countout. It just it doesn't make any sense at all. No, I definitely think that uh, something went horribly wrong with that. Maybe Adonis didn't want to lose like that, or who knows? 
I mean, that match, yeah. the match is not great up until that point. No, thankfully it was fairly short, because this one's a bit of a write-off. Nothing to see here. We then go to our next contest, which is Canada's greatest athlete, I am Mike Sharp, taking on Dirty Dick, or the Rebel Dick Slater. So this was one I didn't have high hopes for. I am Mike Sharp, obviously. A lot of people will know as a long-time sort of job out of the stars for the WWF, and um, a very young Dick Slater here as well, being billed as the Rebel. Hasn't he, uh, isn't it, rest in peace for Dick Slater? I think he died this week, didn't he? I believe he did, yeah. So, um, yeah, a big rest in peace there for Dick Slater. Um, I've not seen a ton of his work over the years, but an early Fed match with Iron Mike Sharp was probably not the best memoriam for him. Uh, no, I think he was at the Starcade we did for the last uh, podcast, and I think that was probably a better showcase. But although I do remember that Starcade wanted me to pull my own eyebrows off. <laughs> the only real note I get to start this match is how jacked the referee is. He is well and truly built. I don't know who he is, but he was a big unit. I don't think it helps wrestlers if your referees are stacked. It's They're supposed to be larger than life. Yeah, I agree. Um, the match starts with a stomp to the fingers from Slater, and then immediately we get a jump cut. Um, we see Slater then putting on a neck breaker and a Russian leg sweep, and a comes off the top rope with an elbow to the head of a standing Mike Sharp for the one, two, three. Uh, kept it very short, and Dick Slater looked strong as a result. Mike Sharp did exactly what he needed to do, which was nothing. Yeah, and Canada's greatest athlete didn't have one of his better days. No, no. The Canadians uh, certainly need another hero. We then go to Mean Gene Oakland with Bobby the Brain Heenan, who's starting to really hit his stride with his interview style here in the WWF. Um, we've got an awful green screen effect where it, it looks like they're stood in the aisle, and the people in the crowd are yelling at Bobby Heenan, but I don't know whether they've taken that footage from his ring entrance or something. It, it doesn't line up, though. You can definitely tell it's not live action. Um, but he talks about the fact that he's going to unmask the machines, and, of course, Andre the Giant, if he's one of the machines, he's, if he's found to be, will be barred for life from the WWF, and he's going to crown Paul Laundorf the champion. So a big night coming up for Heenan, um, and he tries in vain to get the crowd to start chanting Weasel at him, which they do a little bit, but not too much. Um, I'll splice some of this in because it's a good promo, but what did you think of Heenan here? Well, Bobby Heenan... It may be a little cool here at the CNE Stadium, but things are starting to heat up. Just exactly what are you talking about? Exactly what I'm talking about is in the six-man tag with myself, Stud, and Bundy against the big super machine, the giant machine, and Captain Lou Albano. The mask are coming off tonight, and then in the main event, you're going to see me strap the gold around the waist of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the new world heavyweight champion. All right, I think you're letting some of your personal feelings, your emotions, run a little high on the subject matter of your event and their participation in the largest single wrestling spectator event ever held in the history of the world and the World Wrestling Federation. Bobby Heaton, you are part of history. Mr. Okerlund, I make history. If it wasn't for Orndorff and myself and the whole Bobby Heenan family, that is why there's over 70,000 people here, because Heenan is wrestling, and wrestling is Heenan. All right, I thank you very much. He is the brain. But He's just perfect, isn't he? He does everything he needs to do. It's every uh, mark. 
manages to do all the wrestling cliches without uh, without them feeling like cliches. Uh, I mean, it's not going to take our podcast to point out that Bobby the Brain Heenan is a, is a, is a genius at this, but by God, the man's a genius. A hundred percent. We then go to a match I was most looking forward to on the show. Uh, the Machines and Lou Albano taking on King Kong Bundy, Big John Studd, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, I was most looking forward to it. I was a little bit disappointed when I realized that the main man, the giant machine, Andre, was the outside partner rather than actually being involved in the match. But still, it was cool to see this gimmick for the first time for me. Yeah, I like I like the idea of you've got someone so recognizable claiming that, that no, 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 I'm not, I'm not Andre. <laughs> now do you know, do you recognize who the two machines super machine and big machine actually were I, I did have a, I did after wikipedia I know I think one's uh, is it bill from from demolition Yep uh, demolition axe uh the other guy I can't remember He's blackjack mulligan yeah. We start with a shoulder block from big john stud and then super machine hits three clotheslines um Andre on the outside sends Big John Stud back in. Uh, Stud blocks a body slam and brings in King Kong Bundy, who hits some big corner punches and a back elbow. Stud comes in and begins to beat down the faces. Uh, Bobby Heenan then comes in for a little bit of a turn, hits some kicks. They've isolated Super Machine here, and Lou Albano and Bobby Heenan eventually get in. Um, Albano beats up on Heenan. Heenan hits an eye rake and tags Stud, who comes in and clears house. Um, but the Giant comes in and beats up all the faces, leading to a... Uh, sorry, Giant comes in and beats up all the heels, leading to a disqualification for the faces. But really good crowd heat and, yeah, a good showcase for all the big men involved. It, good storyline fodder and not too bad. I enjoyed this. What did you think? Uh, it kept it reasonably short and sweet, so you didn't get bored of it. Uh, I actually quite like the idea of... Andre on the outside, ready to come in. I mean, it's not very clever of him to come in and get DQ'd, but, you know, that's wrestling for you. Uh, it amazes me. Bobby the Brain Heenan bumps better than some, some, than some actual wrestlers. He's... Yeah, he and, me, he and Mr. Perfect were a perfect team in that regard. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it just, it's just a level of physicality that, that just adds to that. That uh, kind of, once he gets caught and beat up, he can sell it. It just works really well. From there, we go to our next match, which is Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a match I was really looking forward to because we've got heel Jake the Snake. Now, I know Jake came in as a heel, but pretty quickly he was turned babyface. And outside of, um, I think, WrestleMania 2, did he fight George Wells as a heel? That's the only real heel Jake Roberts match I can recall ever seeing until his later heel turn a few years down the line. Um, and Ricky Steamboat here in the mid-80s is one of the best workers in the world. So this was something I was definitely looking forward to. Oh, yeah. On, on paper, this is surely the best match of the night. Yeah. And um, Heel Jake comes out in a robe, which I found very interesting. Um, I'm big on, like, weird, like, sort of um, quirks in the attire of wrestlers. And I'd never seen Jake the Snake Roberts come out in an entrance robe. So that was a bit funny to see as well. Yeah, it's a bit off. You're looking for the bag with a snake in, not a robe. Yeah, and I think the um, the reptiles were barred, so no dragon, no snake was part of the storyline of this grudge match. Now, um, why don't they have that stipulation in the games? <laughs> yeah, all reptiles barred from ringside. Yeah, no reptile match. <laughs> 
Jake jumps Steamboat early and they exchange strikes before Steamboat hits a backdrop and Jake powders to the outside. Um, he goes to... Uh, he uses a post on the outside and then in the same spot for um, Saturday night's main event, he goes to hit the DDT on the floor. Um, Ricky Steamboat comes back though and hits a chop for a two count before working the arm. Monsoon tells us this match is no holds barred and Johnny Valiant um, calls Lake Ontario. He calls, well, they're talking about Lake Ontario for some reason and he goes, it's not a lake, it's a crick. I'm assuming he means creek, but yeah, fuck, he was hard to understand. I have no idea at any point what he was talking about. He's just come, just <laughs> rambling, uh, and his mic's not well. The sound quality's not very good in these anyway, but he just he doesn't pop out. Oh yeah, he's like. Rrr, 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 rrr. Yeah, very generic uh, mid '80s wrestling heel. Yeah, he just he's just got a book of wrestling heel. Yeah, Steamboat hits some chops and they brawl along the outside. Um, he blocks a chair and then nails Jake with it. He goes up top and hits his chop for a two count, which the crowd really enjoys. They're getting pretty hot for this match. Um, the referee, for some reason, looks a little bit like the love child of Jerry Briscoe and Sam from Game of Thrones. No, that is not a mix you want. <laughs> we get a 10-punch spot from Steamboat, some more brawling along the outside, and Steamboat gets busted wide open on the post. Um during this spot, we get a few splashes of blood on the lens of the camera, which really adds to the gritty, grimy, violent effect of this match. I thought that was really awesome accidental production. It's really good. It's kind of out of place. So, like, with the uh, the production, even then, they're trying to do so. I really thought it added a lot. Whereas, obviously, the WWF will make sure it's wiped off probably for the next match. Whereas, like, everyone else we'd watch would leave it on there because they couldn't be bothered. Yeah, and we go to this camera a few times through the rest of the match, and it's still there. You're right, it's gone after the match, but it really just added to the to the danger of this match. I loved it. Um, Roberts begins a bit of a beatdown and hits his short clothesline, which if you're a long-time WWF fan, you'll know is a setup for the DDT. Um, unfortunately, he can't lock it on, but he does hit an inverted atomic drop and a gut buster. Um, Roberts, you can hear here actually getting some cheers as he's going through some of his moves on Steamboat. So you can see why they were pretty quick to turn him face after coming on board. Um, he attempts a pin, though, but Steamboat reverses it into a sunset flip and picks up a three in a quick flash pin um, in a pretty decent contest. I've got to say, I enjoyed this. They certainly wasn't giving the uh, household bullshit that we'd seen earlier on. Uh, nice match. It, it's odd. Everything about Jake should be a heel, but somehow it makes him a face. It's uh, he, he, You just want to cheer him. Yeah, this had this was probably the first match, one one of the few matches across both shows as well. To be honest, to really feel like a pay per view match, it wasn't it wasn't a today pay per view match where you've got to have twenty false finishes and you know five kickouts of of finishes and whatnot. But it felt like a big match and not just a match. Yeah, I, I mean the without getting on a sidetrack of the modern product, I'd, I'll take a match with one pinfall in it every now and again. Because I'm sick to death of, of like, near falls. It's like, one's good. 15 loses its effect. Yeah, when the crowd are chanting two and thinking they're funny, it um, it's time to tone down some of the false finishes. Yeah, the, the, if they've understood the, t- the trope of the uh, near fall, then you have to stop it, not play up to them. 
Our next match doesn't feel like quite such a big match. It's Billy Jack Haynes taking on the Mighty Hercules. Um, and we get a very strange overdubbing here before the match gets started. Gorilla Monsoon saying that Johnny Valiant and Ernie Ladd have left um, for a minute. And they're, <laughs> they're also... Um, so, I'm conf- I was confused by this, and it's coming across me struggling to explain it because they sort of have all show been talking about it like it's happening live, but then Gorilla Monsoon's coming over to say they've left for a minute and also tells us that Slick has recently, after this show, bought all of Classy Freddy Blassie's clients, hence why he's um, managing one of, the, one of the guys here. But it's just really weird to have him come on and say, after this show, this happened, when the commentary team have been playing it up as live all night. So it was very staggering and threw me off guard a bit. Here. I think it's, it's got to be an overdub because at some point they do show them in the box commentating live. So uh, probably what, like Vince doing a bit of a George Lucas with Star Wars, wanting to go back and fix something. I guess so. Um, during the match, we get a clothesline from Hercules and a bear hug, a backbreaker from Billy Jack and a second rope elbow. Um, we get a low blow after a full Nelson. Um, the crowd's pretty dead, though, so they're not really getting too into it. We get a suplex from Hercules, and Gorilla Monsoon says that he knocked him into the middle the next week um, and then follows that up with clothesline and a beauty, and we get a two count for that. And I'm just begging for a jump cut to get through this match. But thankfully, Billy Jack Haynes locks on a backslide for the three, and this was a bit of a dud. Oh, it's crap. The only uh, bonus of this match was me explaining to the missus just how much of one crazy bastard is Billy Jack Haynes nowadays. <laughs> I believe his latest claim involves dead people and the Clintons. I've not heard this. Fill me in. I believe he claims he hid a body that was uh, killed by someone else, but on the orders of Hillary and Bill Clinton. Shit. Okay. Yeah. I was like... (laughs) Crazy, crazy mofo. I was like, he was crazy before. I'll just see what he's done now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Wish I'd not done that. Oh, man, I'm going to have to check this out after the show. This sounds right up my alley. Some res- old wrestlers, conspiracy theories, love it. Yep, I don't think you could get any uh, any better. And we go to our next contest, which is the fabulous Rougeau brothers taking on the Dream Team. Dream Team, of course, Brutus Barber Beefcake, before he was the Barber, and Dino Bravo. And the Rougeaus here are baby faces, which I found quite weird. Yeah, yeah, it seems difficult to, to cheer for them, but fair enough. If you've got uh, those two on the other side, I'm willing to cheer. Give me the heel Rougeos with that brilliant theme song any day of the week. Yeah, that's 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 their uh, calling in life. Um, we get a double... T- uh, yeah, the Dream Team jumped the Rougeos nice and early in the match, and we get a four-man brawl. Ray Rougeau hits a uh, sunset flip for a two. Greg Valentine um, is wearing red tights just like the Rougeau, so they didn't really coordinate on wardrobe during this one. Makes it look a bit weird, like there's three of one and one of the other. You don't need anyone to make you think there's three Greg Valentines in the ring. (laughs) Um, We get a back elbow from Jacques for a two count and then a body slam from Brutus for a two. Greg Valentine comes off the top with a chop and a slam and then Jacques hits a crossbody for a two. We get a double drop kick from the Rougeos. Um, the heels double team in the corner for a while. They all brawl in the ring. They all brawl outside of the ring. And Jimmy Valiant cheers on quite loudly, of course, these being his old charges, the dream team. Oh, he's just going on and on and on and on and on. 
And Greg Valentine locks on a bear hug, which goes on and on and on and on and on and puts me to sleep just about. <laughs> I do believe at this Before... point is about the time I did have a little snooze. <laughs> he then begins to work over the back of Ray Rougeau, who hits a hot tag to Jacques, comes in and hits drop kicks all round, but misses a second rope fist drop. Greg Valentine locks on the figure four, but he's saved. Uh, we then get another four-man brawl and a sunset flip from the non-legal Rougeau, which allows him to pick up the victory. And second match already to finish with a sunset flip. The one in between finished with a backslide. And Jimmy Valiant goes on a, um, or Johnny Valiant, sorry, goes on a massive tirade about how unfair this was to compound the agony of it all. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense what he's going on about, mostly because he's ineligible. Not ineligible. <laughs> well, he's ineligible to be a commentator. That'll do. It just, I just <laughs> wanted him to shut up, crawl away. Just leave me alone. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Um, this match was a little bit disappointing. I had higher hopes for considering the guys involved, but I didn't really enjoy it, if I'm being honest. I was actually relatively impressed with with, uh, with the beefer. <laughs> yeah, but definitely a better tag team wrestler than singles wrestler is old Brutai. Yeah, that's, you can't leave him on his own. You never know what he's going to get up to. We then go to our next contest, which is the King, Handsome Harley Race, taking on Pedro Morales. This was a, a bit of a blast from the past and battle of sort of bygone eras. But um, yeah, it was perk, perked my interest a little bit to see these two names on the show. Certainly interesting because Harley would have been the NWA champ and wasn't Pedro the WWF champ, if I've got that right. Quite possibly. Um, Pedro, a former uh, champ and intercontinental champ as well. So quite possibly. I mean... It's safe to say they're at the twilight of their careers at this point, but, you know, they can they still look all right. And I know later on in the um, AWA show, you've dubbed the semi-main event the age in the cage, but I've dubbed this one here the Battle of the Pub Dads <laughs> due to the physiques on display. Yeah, if you uh, if you walked into a pub and them two were drinking there, it's one where you get a pint, sit down and keep your gobs shut. Yeah, and um, it's not the mega powers explode, but it's the high pants explode because they're both certainly north of the belly button in this one. Oh, yeah. The, some, uh, you could almost actually claim that they're a jumper. They're that high up. <laughs> they brawl along the outside. Um, Pedro hits a suplex at a small package inside for a two, and a very clumsy Pedro pushes the referee, um, allowing Harley to trip him and pin him with his feet on the ropes. Um, referee sort of turns left and then turns right to avoid seeing the feed on the ropes, and give, counts the one, two, three to mild bullshit chance. <laughs> These guys were really probably too old to be going 10, 15 minutes, but I was surprised at how short it was and how quick and dodgy the finish was anyway. They certainly kept them uh, short on time. But it's odd. I just it, we We're kind of taught that everyone believed wrestling was real at this point, yet the crowd's yelling bullshit, which, which would suggest that uh, maybe they knew a little bit more than they were willing to give away. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly think you'd be... Hard pressed to find too many people that believed this whole um, that Jack Tunney didn't think Giant Machine was Andre the Giant, so Kayfabe's got to be nearly dead. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a wink and a nod to it, but uh, yeah, this wasn't a great match, and like like you said, pub dads. 
Which takes us to our main event of the evening. It is Hulk Hogan defending his World Heavyweight Championship against Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Um, Mr. Wonderful and Hulk Hogan is a bit of a sleeper feud in, in the Hulkamania era because obviously um, Orndorff was a heel and was sort of betrayed by the other heels and befriended Hogan only to viciously turn on him and join Bobby Heenan, uh, much the way Andre does but with you know, Andre doesn't attack him, obviously, um, quite as badly. But, yeah, it was um, very popular and certainly the reason for the big house here tonight. And this feud um, is credited as being so sort of earth-shattering when it comes to drawing crowds and making money that Paul Orndorff's um, atrophy in his arm is because he didn't want to take time off during this time to have the surgery because he was making so much money. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's one of those situations he probably could have made a lot more money if he'd taken the time off, but I guess you only really get one crack at Ogan the way they used to book him, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, yeah, big crowd here, big event, certainly um, something that I think had this been WrestleMania 2, this would be very, very fondly remembered, but as such, it's been forgotten a little bit, whereas it, it really shouldn't be because this was a huge feud in the early days for Hogan. It's it's possibly the uh, best feud. I mean, I'm not knocking Piper, but uh, at least with Orndorff, he could uh, he would get a win. Whereas I think I think the stats on Piper's losses in the '80s are so low, it's like clean are so low, it's ridiculous. Indeed, um, Mr. Wonderful comes out here with Hulk's music playing, uh, which confuses me. I'm not sure if it happened in for a reason or if it was just bad editing on the show. Um, but they essentially both come out to Real American, which was a little bit jarring. Yeah, I, th- I thought maybe it was someone in the editing uh, when they put it on the network and there was something Mr. Wonderful uh, had that they couldn't play. But now nah, that's that's in the arena. Maybe Hulk demanded that he's, he was already getting an ego. He's like, no, brother, you got to play my music twice, brother. <laughs> to start the match, Orndorff jumps Hogan and stomps him and punches him to really good heat. Um, they roll around and brawl, um, giving it a nice realistic feel, and the crowd are loving it as they go into a slugfest and then brawl along the outside. Hulk hits a clothesline and then a clothesline in the corner, and we hear classic stadium air horns and big pops for a lot of the moves here. Oh, they're in for it. I mean, bearing in mind, if you, when they were showing out in the cloud, crowd how uh, cold it looks, you know, the crowd is really into all of this. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and it only amplifies when Bobby Heenan slaps the Hulkster. Hogan, though, fights back and hits an atomic drop and then goes to chase Bobby Heenan around the outside. But this, as you would know if you've watched much wrestling, is the perfect opportunity for Orndorff to attack again. And then he suplexes Hogan on the floor and begins a pretty lengthy heel beatdown, including a slam, an elbow, and a top rope fist drop, and then a back suplex for a two count. Of course, though, whenever Hogan's in danger, he's never far away from jumping up off the canvas and beginning to hit his comeback, which he does here. Um, he um, hits a high knee and then push it, uh, which knocks Paul Orndorff into the referee, lifts his arm and clotheslines him. So this spot here is how Orndorff turned on Hogan. He sort of helped him up and raised his arm to the crowd and then hit him with a clothesline and Hogan does the exact same thing here in some really good storytelling. Goes to set up a pile driver which Orndorff had hit on um, Hogan during the beatdown as well but Bobby Heenan comes in with a wooden stool and nails Hogan with it as the referee's slowly waking up. Um, He taps Paul Orndorff on the shoulder who's trying to pin Hogan. We hear a bell and then 
Heenan and Orndorff like stupid heels celebrate with the belt, but Finkel comes in and announces a disqualification victory to Hogan. It seemed like a little bit of an odd ending, but as we go to the replay, you can actually see that the referee was waking up and was facing the attack as Bobby Heenan came in. So it turned out to be a pretty good piece of production uh, there to actually capture that and explain it quite clearly. Um, a bit shit having a disqualification ending, but the crowd were loving every minute of this. I think it's just uh, kind of, and I, I, although we do see it a lot more in the next show, it's, it's kind of what they did at the time to keep the feuds going. It's, uh, I think, even when I started watching pay per views in the the late nineties, how many times did the pay per view end with uh, the the face getting screwed over? It was actually relatively high. The nowadays there just seem to be almost a, a pushback against, and I think I think we as fans are possibly the the idea of going on happy when actually the pay-per-view or, or the show is only there to set up the next night's TV. I mean, it's a, it's a rolling story. So I actually don't mind this finish. He still got a decent match, and I didn't feel like it was cheapened by the ending. I think that's the important thing with this. Yeah, definitely. I enjoyed this. I thought it was good. Um, after the match, Orndorff attacks Hogan, but he does. Uh, Hogan obviously fights back and sends him packing. Um, but he doesn't do his pose down, which is interesting. You know, it's obviously still developing his act here. And then we go to credits, which is something you very rarely see on a WWF show. Um, good match and good ending to a decent, if not spectacular, show. I got to say, the jump cuts and keeping this to two hours and the the better matches being the longer matches all round made this quite enjoyable for me. I didn't mind this. Um, never watched it before, but I can't say it's one of those shows where I go, God, I hope I never have to see this again. I just found it to be an okay wrestling show. Yeah, it was. Uh, it did what it needed to do. It wasn't boring, like you say, the jump cuts help. The the big matches all gave you what you needed, bearing in mind the time. And and, and it still, it keeps the... It doesn't feel like it was a throwaway like the main event. It keeps the storyline going, but it was still a satisfying end to the show. It wasn't uh, like, oh, we're going to stall for five minutes, and I'm going to put you in a bear rug, and then I'm going to hit you with something pointlessly. It was all very well produced, so... Even like the disqualification wasn't like my biggest bugbear where they wrestle for 18 minutes and then just punch the referee in his face to get the DQ, that kind of finish. It was, it all, all was, was good. I, I mean, if someone was saying to me, oh, I'm going to watch all the wrestling from 86, I certainly wouldn't say, oh, you better skip the big event. No, definitely not. Um, I was quite glad we picked this. Um, I definitely didn't want to do WrestleMania 2, but I didn't have high expectations for anything else in the year, and this one pleasantly surprised me. Yeah, yeah, definitely better than WrestleMania 2. I'd argue a stronger show than uh, a lot of the other shows we've done before this as well. Yeah, I'd have to say from our 80s journey, this has got to be one of the best, if not the best show we've watched so far. Yeah, even, uh, even though it is technically a glorified house show, Although a big one, it, it's no different maybe to uh, the, uh, what's the one they just had down in your neck of the woods? Oh, Super Showdown, yeah. which sounds like the um, the lamest creator pay-per-view you could come up with on the PlayStation 1. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It didn't feel like that. It felt like it was, it was part of something moving on, whereas Super Showdown, I think you could technically have missed it. And it's just, you wouldn't have missed anything storyline-wise. Super Showdown as a name just reminds me of um, 
Have you ever heard that prank call um, where they're trying to sell a, a fake pay-per-view about for John Cena and they just keep calling the woman until she gets irate? Have you ever heard that on YouTube? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah, Google app or YouTube John Cena prank call. It's, it's quite hilarious. <laughs> yeah, bad name. Not great pay-per-view. But uh, we're, not, we're not here to review that uh, that monstrosity. No, and this um this takes us to the halfway point now that we've watched the first show, which means it's time to have a look at um, Memorabilia Lane. Have you got a piece of memorabilia in mind that you want to talk to us about today? Yes. I, uh, when I was in my formative years, uh, had quite much well, so I've been interested in doing a bit of cooking. So I got the uh, WWF, for Christmas, the WWF cookbook. Was it J-On? Yes. Cookbook? Yeah. Yes. Uh, from the... Uh, it was, I was, it was one of those books that was pretty good to read, but most of the recipes were garbage because it wasn't a proper recipe book and most of it was American. But, uh, yeah, I had that. I uh, don't know where it's gone now. Uh, I know one of the recipes was uh, it was some kind of sandwich on Big Boss Man. It had one recipe involving using a dog due to the storyline of the time <laughs> and then an actual, <laughs> an actual proper recipe. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you if I cooked anything from it, and I'm 99% certain that uh, no wrestler actually had anything to do with the recipes in there. <laughs> oh, that stops me asking my next question, which was, which was, what was the best thing you cooked from it? But if you're not not sure you cooked anything from it, that's going to stop me asking that. I don't think there was anything in there that was like particularly exciting, really, or uh, I hadn't already cooked, so it was just uh... yeah, it was all right. There's like meatloaf in there and stuff like that, but uh, it's not the worst piece of memorabilia I think there'll ever be in the world. I always wanted that cookbook, but like I, when the WBF started releasing books, you know, like with Mick Foley's first and The Rock and whatnot, I bought every book. Um, most of them I bought hardcovers, but some of them like China's, I waited for a paperback and, you know, a couple of others. But that cookbook came out over here. It was something like $55 Australian, and I was probably about 18 when it came out, and I just could not justify spending $55 Australian on a, on a wrestling cookbook. No, no, that, that wouldn't have been a good price to pay for it. I uh, I didn't have to no. buy the books because my uh, mum at the time used to work in the library and get me, which was good when I read The Monstrosity, which is The Rock's book. Yeah, <laughs> The Rock's was poor, and China's made me... It was, was the... Um, China's was the literary equivalent of WrestleRock 86. Yes, that's a very good analogy. This is Ken Rednick, and I'm here to say we've got the greatest wrestlers in the AWA. But you're not here to listen to me mumble. Let's fill you in on the WrestleRock rumble. Get on! WrestleRock, be there. With the Midnight Rockers, Sean and Marty. We love to wrestle. And we love to party. You don't have to work. We're not going to bumble. Because we'll, we'll be shaking to the, the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! Wrestle Rock. 
I'm the shit and that's not funny. I got my army and lots of money. If Ghani in my way, I make him crumble. He be sorry. I did the Rasta Rock rumble. Wrestle Rock, be there. I'm Jerry Blackwell. I want to see. I want to get my hands on that pencil neck geek. As I watch the EDF fumble, I'm going to make my splash in the Wrestle Rock rumble. The A of Ray, you, me, and Wrestle Rock. I'm Greg Gagne, and I'm in a rage. I want Brody, and I want him in a cage. A high-flying dropkick will make him see double. I grind him up at the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Woo! Wrestle Rock. I'm Kurt Hennig. And Big Scott Hall. Tag team champs will take on them all. So bring on the long riders, those dirt ball dumbos. We'll smear those bushes. Do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. I've got a passion. I'll get the title back from the humanoid Hanson. I've got the brains and I'm not humble. I'll take the belt back and do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Wrestle Rock, April 20th, at the Dome. Wrestle Rock, 86, be there. I won't be through till I get done slapping around Scott and the Duke. Gonna beat the ugly bartender into a bundle and laugh all the way doing Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! This game talk got a mouth that won't quit, but I'm Scott and the Duke wanna smack a little shit. And when I'm through, you won't be able to mumble. I'll be left alone doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Yeah! Just one last word from the former champ, Vern, but give a lot of thought to one more turn. There's some old scores that still give me trouble, and I'm starting to get the urge to do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. So there you have it, and now you know them. And on April 20th, it's at the Dome. So get your tickets to be under the bubble, because you two can be doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. <laughs> which means it's time to go over and look at our second show, um, Wrestle Rock 86, with the tagline, three hours 41, fuck right off. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't looking forward to it when I saw three hours 41. Even more worryingly is when the timeline comes up and you can see how many dots are on it. This I watched in approximately 48 sittings. <laughs> I, did, I did it in two sittings, but I, I, again, I fell asleep and then I had to go back, which is slightly annoying. When there's that many amount of dots on the timeline, it should just have a bullshit finisher counter somewhere on the network and just say, "This, this, do you would you like to watch this without the bullshit finishes?" And then it cuts the show down. <laughs> cuts it to about an hour ten. Yeah, <laughs> this show would be pushing an hour would be difficult. Oh fuck! I just I loaded it up and my heart sank. I'm like, no fucking way! You've got to be kidding me um and yeah so there's a there's a whole bunch of matches on this but as i alluded to earlier there's a match cut um buddy rose and doug sorry um playboy buddy rose and is it doug it is doug summers yeah i got it right um doug summers defeated the midnight rockers in 12 and a half minutes and that's the only match they cut from the show (sighs) 
Don't you mean party? <laughs> we cut the rockets. Don't you mean party boy Doug Summers? Because nothing says party boy more <laughs> than Doug Summers. <laughs> we left on Colonel De Beers and Wahoo McDaniel, and we cut off Marty Janetti and Shawn Michaels. Just as they get started, <laughs> fuck's sake. I know you say one of the best <laughs> Rock Rumble video, and I was like, did I miss that? Uh, the wrestle they didn't play it on there, but um, if you've gotten to this point on the show, you will have already heard it because that's what I've played as in to Wrestle Rock with. So, um, yeah, that was just a fabulous piece of business, and everybody that I've made listen to it, so pretty much as you, myself, and my brother have all been pretty much in agreement that the best rapper on in the AWA was Nick Bockwink. Oh yeah, without doubt. What I like is I've, I, recently I was watching an old Simpsons where uh, Bart puts the radio down the well. Earlier on, it, oh yeah, yeah, that's very old Simpsons. Yeah, early on, it's Homer trying to prove it's good by singing "Convoy," uh, and that's exactly <laughs> what these guys sound like doing their rap. It's, it's that's how awful it is. I'm Timmy O'Toole. I've fallen down a well. We got a great big convoy <laughs> trucking in the night. <laughs> and that, that ladies and oh gentlemen, we'll is why I wasn't allowed a microphone when I used to be in a band. <laughs> oh man and we we start off with the national anthem and then we see a host of empty seats as we talked about earlier and our first matchup is going to be a mac classic it's brad rangans taking on boris zukov the man with the giant cranium i couldn't work out what this guy was called i thought was he called rob Royd. i've got brad <laughs> riggins and then brad wankins but the one Brad Rennigan's, uh, Rengen, sorry. Um, yeah, I can't pronounce his fucking name either. Um, have you, do you know how many wrestlers he trained? No idea. I don't, I don't know the exact number of wrestlers he trained, but here's a list of some of the ones you may know. Vader, the Beverly Brothers, Nobs and Sags, the Nasty Boys, JBL, Brock Lesnar, Jerry Lynn, and Ludwig Borger and Rick Steiner. That's pretty impressive, although the idea that somebody trained the Nasty Boys to wrestle is something that blows my mind. <laughs> but yeah, pretty impressive if this match was not. Um, Brad Rengen steals the Russian flag, blows his nose on it, wipes his pits, and then his ass, the dirty knacker. <laughs> I'd like to see what would happen if that was the USA flag. <laughs> well... Shawn Michaels does this 20 years later and everyone's up in arms about it, but Brad Rangan's got a, got a pass here. Uh, he hits a drop kick and locks on a hammerlock, um, and then he hits a couple of snap mares and a clothesline, a back suplex before... Um, sorry, Zukov hits a back suplex and a couple of clotheslines. Brad Rangan's fights back and hits a backdrop working on the leg, and then out of nowhere hits a power slam for the one, two, three, but Zukov doesn't lie down, jumps him afterwards, and we get broken up, and the first match is in the books. Job done. Two things I took from this match, although not a lot to do with the match. One, second Simpsons uh, quote, the guy commentating does sound like the original Homer Simpson voice, and I was asking him if anybody wanted to go for Frosted Shakes. And the second thing is the commentator, I think, points out that Brad is from Appleton at least 15 times. <laughs> they don't introduce the um, the commentator here who's just on his lonesome to start with, but I'm fairly certain it's Rod Trongard. Um, but yeah, he's, he's definitely, that's actually pretty accurate, the, the voice comparison of the first Homer. Oh, it's it's horrible. And he keeps, like I said, he goes, Brad, 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 Brad Wankins, uh, he's from Appleton, Minnesota. 
the Appleton, Appleton Minnesota, Brad Wankins. They're like, all right, it doesn't matter. I'm not from Minnesota, so I'm not happy. It'd be like me being on the podcast going, Richard Black from Kilton, workshop. <laughs> Our next matchup includes four midgets and the best piece of rapping on the show. Uh, it's Lord Littlebrook and Little Tokyo, the heels, taking on Little Mr. T and... Oh, what was the other guy's name? Um, something Lang. It was like Cowboy Scott Lang or something. Oh, no, that's Ant-Man. Some, something like that. Something... something. Something lang. And um, Drungard spits out this line on commentary. Big or tall, short or small, the AWA has it all. Oh, he, he uh, puts a lot of these little uh, AWAs, the best in the world, uh, things all the way through. Mostly when what's on the screen is it's utter shite. <laughs> um this is um, pretty dull early on with Lang and the heels fighting, and I just want them to get little Mr. T in to see what that's all about. Um, little Tokyo has a black and blue long tights combination, which makes him look like a Takamichinoku thumb wrestler. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, when I was watching this, thinking in this day and age, there's a lot of stuff to be sidestepped while watching this match. It's like, there's, there's trigger warnings everywhere. <laughs> They eventually get little Mr. T in who comes in and cleans house and we get some bullshit wrestling comedy. Um, and then I th- finally think that it's going to end, but it doesn't. We get a four-man rowboat spot and the pile on the ref and then Lang wins with a roll-up in a very, very shit match. I really hated this. Please don't make me ever watch this again. Oh, it was absolute garbage. I I, have, I don't I sort of like, I'm writing notes and I looked up and then he was doing this weird spin thing and then there was a pin. I was like, I don't even know what's happened there. Oh, the worst part of the match was they did this spot where um, one of the heels, I think it was Littlebrook, gets on the second rope and he's like stomping on the head of one of the faces and then the other face gets thrown in and then the, the faces reverse it and throw the heel in and he's stomping on his partner's head without noticing it. It was just shit like that. It was hard to stomach. Um, this match for me got a solid 7 out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale. It was pretty awful. Oh, it's wanktastic. Well, it's not wanktastic, actually. That's, that's the wrong description. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, definitely get seven, seven, seven wanks on the on the one commenter. If if you're gonna talk about this match in wank terms, it's definitely got its own category on porn. Yeah, yeah you, got, you certainly don't. You don't want those details displayed to the world. Oh my god! I see that you're interested. I, I see you're interested in multiracial midget porn. I'm not. I've just got fat thumbs and I accidentally pressed the next video. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Fuck. Escape. Escape. <laughs> Quick. Next man. Yeah. yeah this, hopefully that did not store cookies on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And our next match. If you think comedy was uh, was bad, then the... Um, the quick, sharp turn around the corner on this next one makes it even worse. It's Colonel De Beers taking on Wahoo McDaniel. Um, we've got some local horse breeder and bus owner, uh, business owner, sorry, <laughs> bus owner, um, as a special ring announcer, and he gets booed by the crowd, which made me give them a bravo for booing some local dickhead. <laughs> it's just like local radio uh, adverts. It's just, why, why would anyone care? He breeds horses. Well, nice. The ironic thing was, as my voice goes up several octaves, the, ir- the ironic thing was, he was actually pretty decent ring. Yeah, yeah, they should have used him. I mean, I can see what, what again, I, 
what they've, what they've done is possibly looked at Vern or uh, not Vern WrestleMania two or some of the other shows and gone ah celebs work well. But Vern's gone out and got a man who breeds horses. It's not like Mr. T. Well, he's already had mini Mr. T. But it's not like like, like the people that they've already had for WrestleMania at this point. He would have got Mr. T, but he could only afford half the booking fee. And you will know this man for flipping burgers at the local McDonald's. It's Jim. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and after that, the uh, the pageantry and the opening is finished. We go straight for the fucking jugular when Rod tells us apartheid, white supremacy. He has no time for minorities talking about Colonel De Beers. Fucking hell, why don't you just say this man is a racist cunt? <laughs> I, I just, I, what, but what I like is because of the way it's wrestling, it's, it's a man. It's like apartheid is bad. But you've got a man doing a gimmick for it, making his money. So if apartheid didn't exist, he wouldn't have a fucking gimmick. So he's not <laughs> fighting for the end of apartheid. This dude's supporting the fucking thing, even if he doesn't care. Oh, my God. Wrestling. Wrestling is just the best thing ever, isn't it? You can have a guy who... I know the AWA doesn't last much longer from here, but if, if this was... A, a growing company and he was having a long run you, you've got to know at some point he'd come out and save someone of a different ethnicity to turn face and all would be forgiven it's just fucking wrestling it's that it's that, that, that wrestling shite <laughs> um, it's a very punch kick start before we go into some chain wrestling wahoo hits some chops and the colonel hits some stomps wahoo hits some more chops and does a stupid war dance before throwing the colonel over the top rope for a shit disqualification ending and then they brawl in the crowd and the crowd seemed to appreciate this brawl but it was a nothing match with a shit ending i really didn't enjoy this one either. we have not seen any good wahoo mcdonald's at one point though it does look like he's going to do a kipple <laughs> but i was like nah. it's it, i don't uh, again i think it's another wrestler in the awa coming to maybe the end of their career or it just yeah or and or oh, their gimmick is starting to feel a lot out of place, and I just it just crap, and I just you just get that feeling they possibly they probably wanted to push the beers, uh, and McDonald's is like, well, I ain't losing. <laughs> Wahoo McDonald's is my new favourite name. <laughs> Wahoo McDonald's. <laughs> he looks like he's tucked away a few quarter pounders in his in his old man wrestling outfit I mean, there. So it's gonna it's gonna. Stick. He was supposed to be a bit of a wild man, but it does not translate when he's wrestling. No, he does a few chops, and that's pretty much it. He's got a miserable face. And then he does the uh, he does the uh, I'm I'm uh, uh, Native American, so I'm gonna do that one leg dance. <laughs> Oh, my God. And we go from, you know, we're, we're going through the gears here. We've gone from four-man midget porn into white supremacy. And our next match features our number one resident pedophile of the show, Buck Zumhoff, taking on Tiger Mask. Yeah, I saw this uh, this come up. I watched uh, him put his boombox on, but then it's too loud. Go to the microphone, try to talk into that, which means both the music and his voice is distorted to fuck. I thought, fuck this, I'm not giving him my time, and skipped. Because I thought, I'm not watching him, he touches kids. <laughs> I, um, yeah, the, the promo was completely inaudible. You couldn't make out a word he said because of the boombox. I'm going to reiterate for those that don't remember the last time we spoke about the AWA, Bug Zoom Off, as well as being a pedo and being 
convicted of molesting many young girls, including, I want to say his daughter, but don't quote me on that. Let's say allegedly in case I'm wrong. Uh, I don't really want to go back and Google it at this time of night. Um, but his gimmick is that he is rock and roll Buck Zumhoff. He's meant to be cool and trendy and popular. So he's carrying around a boombox blaring out tunes whilst dressed in a honky-tonk man-style Elvis jumpsuit. He is a fucking idiot. Yes. There's no other word to say it. You're a fucking idiot. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, let's just say, I mean, a man with his conviction record obviously doesn't have good taste, but it's quite apparent every time you see him wrestle. Yeah. I mean, he is on on, he must have been on the list quite high for the uh, authorities because fuck me. Oh. Yeah, he's got a face of everyone, so, you know. Um, I didn't skip it because I wanted to see Tiger Mask. Um, I, You know, Tiger Mask is a name, a legendary name in wrestling and not someone you see very often, so I wanted to watch this. Um, Tiger Mask works on the arm early before Buck... Um, I've got here Buck Zumoff at this stage in his career. Looks like the love child of Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Mar- um, Marvelous Mark Mero, so that should tell you what kind of face we're dealing with here. Yeah, he's not, not an attractive man. Buck works on the leg and puts on a Boston Crab. Um, Tiger Mask comes back with a nice drop kick for a two and an arm drag and a crossbody for a two. Hits a, sum- a suplex before Buck comes back with a slam. Tiger Mask hits a nice spin kick uh, before Buck locks on an ab- abdominal stretch. Tiger Mask misses a drop kick but hits a back suplex and then comes off the top rope with a flipping cannonball, cannonball for the one, two, three. Really cool ending to what was an okay little match. Um, I was just a really good exhibition for Tiger Mask, which is, you know, something that you can see on this show. They're trying to spotlight some of the Japanese guys. And this was, um, yeah, I, I liked seeing Tiger Mask. So I've said all I need to say about Bug Zuma. Yeah, we'll just say Tiger Mask did not do himself any harm. Bug Zuma, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Our next matchup is the former U.S. Express, or still current U.S. Express, but not allowed to call themselves that, of Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham, taking on the fabulous ones. What I like is in the uh, non-charisma promo that's cut beforehand, one of them says, we've come here because this is where the best wrestling is. I call bollocks. You're there because the WWF doesn't want you. Yeah, and Lou Resnick, who's interviewing them, actually calls them the former WWF Tag Team Champions. I always like Vince's eye. It's a little bit annoying, but Vince never, ever admits there's other companies if he can get away with it. And sometimes it does feel when other companies do it, it's it's a little bit cheap because they didn't do it in your company. I'd um I definitely uh, you know being a WWF fan for years, I, it annoyed me at times as well. But I'd take that over the talking up other companies. It just yeah, it comes across a bit shit. I mean, I guess you can you could look at it from the other point and say it's more realistic. Like a UFC fighter can be called a former Pride champion yeah. or, or whatnot. Um, but but yeah, it it come across a bit small time. I mean, it's more annoying now when they uh, claim that people left the WWE, disappeared for ten years, didn't do anything, and then came back. When actually they spent 10 years being relatively successful in TNA. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Um, we get some chain wrestling and some quick tags from the baby faces. Wyndham uh, hits some arm drags before Mike Rotundo locks on a headlock and slows the match right down. We had a double drop kick by the faces um, before Steve Kern, the future Skinner, by the way, um, comes back with some bites. Um, it's actually at the moment in the ring, the future Skinner challenging the future IRS. Uh, they both have better futures, I think, than this. 
<laughs> Barry Windham hits a power slam for a two count. Um, the commentator can't decide whether it's Steve Kern or Steve Kearns, and he keeps alternating between the two. Um, we get a a nice drop kick and a back elbow and an airplane spin. Um, we then get the non-legal Barry Windham coming off the top rope with an elbow for a three count in a pretty dull tag team affair here. I, I didn't enjoy this one. No, it's not great. I find it difficult to get excited when Mike Rotundo wrestles at the best of times, who is also very uh, much guilty of the I'm pulling my pants up as far as possible brigade. Yeah, this was... um. A highly skippable affair, this one. Nothing to see I pretty here. much counted how many times the snack guy passed uh, the front of the uh, the arena. And it was a couple of times in this match. Uh, it's probably the most exciting thing I saw. Our next contest sees the only man with a head rougher than Buck Zumoff in the AWA taking on Giant Bubba. It's a Bulldog Bob Brown who is an ugly motherfucker. Uh, the only reason I know of Bulldog Bob Brown is was listening to the uh, Killing the Town podcast, but now there's no landstorm on it. I ain't listening to the Killing the Town podcast anymore, but was the impressions of Bulldog Bob Brown. And after hearing uh, Don Callis do it, it's impossible to watch him and take him seriously. I'll have to check that one out. But yeah, he's an ugly man. Um, my first note before anything happens is, please, just let this be a giant Bubba squash. Yeah, um, yeah, you don't, don't want to see anything else. Giant Bubba's a weird-looking, weird-looking creature. Yeah, they are two ugly fuckers. <laughs> uh, Bubba works over the arm. Um, Bulldog Bob Brown comes back with an eye rake. The crowd are dead for this. He chokes Bubba. Um Bubba whips him off the ropes and hits him with a knife-edge chop, which looks like it wouldn't crack an egg. Bubba walks over the top of Bob Brown. Bob Brown bites him this time. Um, Bubba hits a Russian leg sweep and a boot to the chest for a 1-2-3. They show a slow-motion replay, which show uh, Bubba's big boot hitting him clearly right in the middle of the chest. But Rod on commentary tells us, big boot to the face for the victory. Yeah, the commentary just uh, adds the shyness of this. Bob Bulldog Bob Brown is absolutely horrendous I don't it's one of the people you like look at and go how did you make a career out of this oh this was um thankfully short and it was nice to see giant bubba this was again like tiger mask was so i was like oh great cool giant bubba like i want to watch this um but it wasn't a good match by any stretch thankfully it was short and definitely the right man won so i won't shit on it too much but um it wasn't brilliant not at all We then see, um, in an interesting turn of events, this is possibly the first time on the podcast that we've seen the same man on both shows. Yeah, I was. Uh, I watched them a little bit apart, so I, I tend to forget the show I did it, and I was certain I'd seen Harley Race recently. Yeah, it's um, Harley Race appearing on both shows, taking on Rick Martel. This is one of his final appearances before joining the WWF. I want to say the month after this show when I looked it up. Um but yeah, um, Race is interviewed before the match and says that after he beats Martel, he wants a shot at Stan Hansen's belt. Well, certainly Harley Race, another one of the great dream matches here at Wrestle Rock. Two former great champions. You seven times NWA champion, Rick Martel, former AWA champion. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And it's always a pleasure to get into a ring with a man with the credibility of Rick Martell. And it'll be a greater pleasure when I walk out of the ring and they know 
that I am the absolute best that there's ever been inside that squared circle. Harley Race, there's got to be a great deal of pressure, not only on you, but Rick Martel, both of you former champions, great champions, both of you with aspirations to again regain a world championship. Certainly the winner of this match in prime contention, while the loser would have to slip down the rankings. That's very true. Stan Hansen is setting where he thinks he's fairly safe now with the AWA title. And let me tell you this, Hansen, once I get by Martel, you're next on my list. A dream match, Harley Race and Rick Martel, all part of Russell Rock 86. Um, and both these guys, actually, come to think of it, are both very nearly WWF bound because Rick Martel will be in there uh, to join up with Tito Santana pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, anyone of name value on this show. They're either there within the very near future or a couple of years when uh, the AWA is hanging on by its fingernails. Definitely. Um, we get Martel hits a couple of hip tosses and then Harley Race comes back with a high knee. Um, they jo- jockey on a top wrist lock as we actually hear some audible boring calls from the crowd. Rick Martel hits a crossbody for a two, and Harley Race hits a headbutt and a slam for a two. Martel locks on a sleeper, but Harley Race gets out and hits him with a backbreaker. Goes up top, up top, sorry, and gets caught. Harley Race hits a nice back suplex, and Martel hits a splash for a two. Harley Race hits a pile driver for a two before Martel botches a second rope crossbody and misses him. Uh, Martel hits a suplex of his own for a two. Harley Race hits a nice shoulder breaker for a two. Martel hits a back suplex and a gut wrench suplex for a two, a drop kick for a two, and begins to work on the leg. Harley Race uh, locks on a bear hug and then hits him with a really nice belly-to-belly for a two before they both go flying over the top rope for what I'm going to assume is a double count-out as they brawl on the outside. And, yep, that's exactly what happens. The referee counts are both out, and we get another non-finish on this show. Yeah, this is starting to get tedious. Even worse looking back in, uh, at it because they're both leaving your territory, so... Just either don't book him or or have someone win. You, all you do is piss yeah, the put, crowd off. Put them against two of your guys that you know are staying and have them lose. Well, I mean, that's even even better idea. I mean, they'd, I don't think a lot of people, when they're on their way out to the WWF for the big contracts, probably really was that shitty on the way out. And they know Vince didn't care if they lost, particularly. Hell, how many stories are there of Vince telling people to finish their dates? In fact, wasn't that how yeah, this Cesaro is... screwed his first chance up to go to the WWE because he cancelled his dates and they went, nah, we're not going to give you a contract now. I think it was about the time Nigel Guinness almost I've went. Ne- I've never heard that story, believe I'm it or sure not. Sure, it's Cesaro. It's when it's Claudio Class de because I can't pronounce it. I'm sure, sure it was... <laughs> it, 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 it was something like that, and he. Uh, so Vince has always been good at finishing the uh, finishing dates off. So, I mean, they, they could have done better. There's people they could have put these two against to give a to give a rub on, and and they just waste it, and then waste it even worse by making the show worse for the finish. Yeah, just take it off the show is another option. I don't know. Maybe show me the Midnight Rockers. <laughs> And up next is a 10-woman battle royal uh, where the the ring announcer says that the only way to be eliminated is to be thrown over the top rope and hitting the hard arena floor. Yes, take that, woman. (laughs) Um, The 
Participants are Sherry and Luna, which I found very cool. Joyce Grable, Kat LaRoe, Rose Devine, Taylor Thomas, Despina Montenegro, Misty Blue, Debbie Combs, and Candy Devine. Um, we missed the first elimination altogether, and they don't even know who it was that's gone. Um, it's a usual battle royal fair. We do see a cool power bomb during the match. That's about the best spot. And eventually, Sherry wins by dumping out some idiot who eliminated the third person to uh, left and thinking she'd won. Sherry sneaks up from behind and dumps her. We get a little in-ring promo uh, with uh, the ring announcer telling us that Sherry's being given a $50,000 check. Not a chance in the world. That's a $50,000 check. And Summers and Rose come in and they say they all want title shots. They want the tag belt and Cherry wants the women's belt. It's not great. Although it's not offensive. Uh, the interview after the match is god awful. But I, I can't help but think that part of that is I, I am offended again by me being told that Doug Summers is a party boy. These... The, <laughs> I. It just feels old. It feels like old people. It's like Triple H doing DX. It doesn't work anymore. It just, just, it just, it's not good. And uh, uh, I was just glad it was over. Like a lot of things on this show. Which takes us to our next match: Sergeant Slaughter taking on the Ugandan giant Kamala. Oh, this was one I looked at and went, "Fuck, this is going to be rough." I mean, it's awkward. It's, it's. Uh, Watching it is uh, definitely awkward, uh, given 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 the more enlightened times that we live in. And five or six matches into the show, we get a second commentator as Larry Nelson finally joins the commentary booth. He must have taken the wrong turn off the highway. Where was he doing a, a spinal tap? He couldn't find the the commentator's booth. Was he doing? I mean, has Vern got him counting tickets? Busted him. <laughs> Um, during the entrances as well, did you catch something from the crowd that was said got bleeped? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, I don't think they were being particularly uh, complimentary towards old Kamala. Ooh. <laughs> I never even clicked as to what it might have been, but now that you've said that, uh, it's probably best that it got bleeped. Yeah, I, I, I heard it and I thought, mm. I mean, it could be... A, it, I, I looked who was coming out and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to be awkward. Sergeant Slaughter's wearing G.I. Joe patented tights. Uh, they actually have G.I. Joe written down the legs. And we're told this is for the America's Championship. But it must be an, an invisible title belt because nobody actually brings one out. Uh, I mean, if, if there is a belt and they don't bring it out, it is one of my pet peeves. You've got a belt. I don't care if you're a tag team uh, wrestler and you're doing a singles match. You have a belt, you bring it out. Definitely. Um the match is very punch-kicky at the start. Kamala hits a splash, and Slaughter goes over the top um, top rope with his corner turnbuckle bump. We get a nerve hold and some stomps and chops from Kamala, a drop kick and a slam, which gets the crowd really to pop from Slaughter. He then doesn't follow it up with the finish, though. He hits a clothesline sometime later for a two. Goes for the clutch, but Skandar Akbar, Kamala's manager, gets on the apron. Um, Slaughter ducks and Kamala nails Akbar. We then get a bell and Slaughter whips Kamala with a belt. And we're told that it's a disqualification for Skandar Akbar getting on the ring. Um, and this was just a bit of an awkward mess. And my only real, like, the, the only thing I could think of that they could have done better than this is if they're going to have a crappy disqualification ending yet again, um, why do the slam a minute or two before the finish? Why not have, after all that, the slam's the big ending spot that sends Kamala scurrying? Uh, it made 
no sense. I mean, it makes you kind of grit your teeth watching a white man with uh, Kamala. But uh, that, that's uh, sort of like in modern eyes. But I just, again, you can write DQs far better than this. And it's almost as if you went, ah, DQ finish, you sort it out. I don't care. The crowd went nuts for that that slam. Like, imagine you do you do everything except for that, and then there's the, the bell ringing and the DQ, and the crowd are groaning, and there's a little mini brawl for a few seconds, and boom, body slam. Kamala rolls out, and the crowd erupts, and that's the ending. It's still a good a good send off to the match, but yeah, to do your big spot, like imagine Hogan and Andre he slams him, and then they brawl for a couple of minutes, and there's a DQ. Like, you, what a waste! You can't underestimate the uh, finishing prowess of. Uh... That sounds wrong. Of Pat Patterson, you know. Just, yeah, just, you're right. Just, it's just it, it shows the finish the the way that WWE would finish a match uh, with a DQ is so better thought out than uh, this. And all it takes, all the parts are there. They just put them in the wrong order. They have the right finish, but like you said, it's it's the wrong way around. They do it the wrong way around. Yeah, although if you were to believe the Andre the Giant documentary, which I just watched last week, Hogan wrote that entire match down on a yellow notepad and handed it to Vincent Andre. Well, of course he did. I mean, Hogan is not one known for lying. He certainly doesn't embellish many stories. No, what is it? Uh, I know there's something about, you know, Andre didn't live much longer after WrestleMania 3. He was offered the chance to be the bass player in Metallica, who's my two favorite ones. Yeah, Andre was 700 pounds and he wasn't sure even when the match started what the finish was. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, Terry. I'm sure. Slaughter then cuts an awkward promo, gets some kids from the crowd to do the Pledge of Allegiance in a really cheesy gimmick. Um, before we go to our next matchup, which is Scott Hall, Big Scott Hall, and Kurt Hennig defending the tag team titles against the Long Riders, Bill Irwin and Scott Irwin. Bill Irwin, do you know who he becomes later on in life? You know what? I looked it up. And I can't remember again. The goon. Oh yeah, I remember him because he gets more screen time as the uh, when he comes back for uh, like gimmick battle royals than he ever did actually at the time. Yeah, I, I have a notes. We've got um, uh, one of them looks like Dog the Bounty Hunter, and the other one looks like like Proto Balls Mahoney of the Long Riders. <laughs> and nothing says rough um, before, like having your pants over your tights. Yeah, it's it's a pretty rough, pretty rough gimmick all around. Um, Hall gets a good pop beforehand because he gets um, handed a trophy for being the uh, most popular wrestler, um, which was you know a coveted prize in the AWA at the time. I'm sure. Well, I mean, if you look at his competition. Um, the match starts with um, Kurt Hennig locking on a headlock before hitting a hip toss and then a really, really strange piece of commentary. S- talking about Scott Hall, they say he's got to be one of the best-looking wrestlers, not only physically, but also facially. Oh, it's... Uh, look at Scott Hall. Isn't he sexy, ladies? <laughs> Just weird. Hennig hits some punches um, and Bill Irwin comes in and... Hennig misses both of the Irwins with elbows. Um, he hits a monkey flip before Scott Irwin hits a slam and a clothesline. The Irwins isolate Hennig for a while, but eventually does break free and get the hot tag. Scott Hall comes in and hits some slams and a noggin knocker before tagging back out. 
Hennig hits a drop kick and then a missile drop kick for the one, two, three. But while the faces attempt to celebrate, the heels come in with a motorcycle boot, a loaded boot, and nail the faces, who, after chasing them back off, cut a promo talking about how the belts don't matter anymore. They're going to want to fight and they want them to bring all their loaded uh, clothing and they'll do the same. Um, Bit of an awkward promo from what would become the future Razor Ramon and Mr. Perfect. Well... Kurt Henning and Big First of all, congratulations retaining the Tag Team Championships, but then you got it from that boot. The $64 million question, was that a loaded boot he brought in there and got you with? Larry, I've never been hit so hard. Sure, it's a loaded boot. That's the reason Stanley Blackburn had him take the gear off. The Long Riders just snuck it in again. Yes, we held on to the titles. That's the bottom line. But we don't even care about these anymore. You want to come out kicking and fighting. I don't care if Stanley Blackburn brings back their boots. I don't care what he does. The people of Minnesota know they want to fight. They'll get one. It's not over, Scott. Not over by any means. Like you heard Kurt say, it's no longer a wrestling match. The belts, the belts don't matter. Long Riders, you want the belts, baby? Come out here and get them. Well, it's not over. You can tell these men want some more of the Long Riders. Wrestle Rock continues. What did you think about the match in the promo? Uh, not a bad match. I particularly like when the commentator said that uh, Henning and uh, Tash Hall have everything going for him. And I was like, yeah, mostly large WWF contracts will be in their futures. Uh, the promo, yes. the promo's not great. And the idea of them like bringing loaded clothing was like, well, it's like, I'm going to bring my loaded blazer. That's okay. My cravat is loaded. <laughs> loaded dressing gown. Yeah, it's just the idea of a loaded boot. It's like, it's just a boot. It's, well, it, boots would be quite painful if they're for motorcycling. If you hit them, you don't need to load them. They've got like like steel in the toe caps and things. You don't, you don't need to add more to it. What could you realistically load a boot with and still wear? I mean, I couldn't really put too much in my boot and still be able to wear it comfortably. No, I mean, you, you, you need a place for your toast to go. And if you've loaded it with lead... I mean, also, if you've loaded it with something heavy, it's gonna you're not able to lift the damn thing. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> a bit of a shit gimmick. It's, it's very much of a shit gimmick. We then continue on down the journey of matches I'm not looking forward to, and it's Larry Zabisco taking on Scott Ledoux. This guy, Larry. I mean, I watched him as a, as a commentator when I'm being watching old WCW, but I don't get him at all. I don't, I don't understand him. It's like he's a wrestler, but I don't get it. <laughs> he's, um... I think he managed... In WCW, I, the only way I can really explain Larry Zabisco is he capitalized on nostalgia before nostalgia was a known thing in wrestling yeah yeah but he seems to have always been capitalizing on nostalgia even when he i i just get that feeling and i've not seen him in bruno san martino but i just get a feeling even that must have been nostalgia because he he just that's that's all he's (laughs) known for Scott Ledoux, on the other hand, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment before the match tells us that I'm going to come down on you like a ton of Idaho potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And the more disconcerting thing is this starts, uh, Zabisco's in the ring and he's got his super sexy dressing gown on, which I don't need to see. Fucking karate Larry Zabisco. Oh, my God. This is... um. 
European rules, 10 two-minute rounds, and it's going to be uh, the boxer versus the wrestler. Um, Scott Ledoux looking to unload the big right hands, and Larry Zabisco, supposedly the wrestler, even though he's in boxing gloves and a karate gi. It's just a fucking mishmash of nonsense. Oh, there's never been. I think we've said this before. Wrestler versus boxer is very rarely given as a classic. This reminds me of like the early cards of UFC, not in the fact that it's good fighting and good action and <laughs> the the stepping stone for something good, but just like the whole like one fighting style versus another in, you know, eh, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the idea that Larry Zabisco is a trained ninja because it's the 80s, so everyone has to be a ninja, even ninjas. <laughs> it's just... Well, his, his second is called yeah, the Ninja. He's, he's from the Orient as opposed to an actual fucking country. <laughs> oh, man. Larry the Axe Hennig is the referee here, and Scott Ledoux wants to punch and Larry wants to wrestle. And after the first round, two minutes, the bell goes, and Larry Nelson goes, I heard a bell ring. What was all that about? And then, like, after being wised up on the fact that, hey, we've just talked about this like two minutes ago, he goes, oh yeah, I, f- I forgot about the rounds. <laughs> fucking brutal. Well fucking done. You've not got any notes there, have you, Larry? No, a bit like me, because I skip straight to the fourth round where Larry's knocked out but saved by the bell. Um, in the fifth, they brawl, and somehow Nunchak come into the ring. Larry the Axe makes a save, and Scott Ledoux wins by disqualification because Larry Zabisco throws him into the ring post. It was shit. It was long. It finished 12 seconds into the fifth round, um, and I'll splice in a little bit of the aftermath Scott Ledoux promo as well because it didn't really get any better than the first God, one. It's just terrible. The rounds don't help. Uh, and even the addition of ninjas and nunchucks, which makes everything better, it's still absolutely fucking wank. Scott Ledoux, the winner vacation, but I know you're not happy with the way that went. I want, I wanted to knock him out for the spudheads. I want to take his head off, but then obviously he got the guts to stand there and fight. Well, I thought you had knocked him out at one point. I know you're holding your arm. That's where he took you into the ring post. Well, he took me in the ring post and his supposed second. I don't know what he hit me with, but he hit me there. That's all right. Next time, I'll just get ready for two guys, not one. There will be a next time. But anytime he wants it, he's mine. Scott Ledoux still after Larry Zabisco. Yeah, this one's going to get a solid 9 out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale because it was shit. It made Mr. T and Roddy Piper's boxing match look like fucking Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner in the Ultimate Fighter 1 main event. I mean, it it made uh, the one we watched the other week with Marvelous Mark Miro and Butterbean look like a... Uh, a classic 12-round slugfest. <sighs> yep, that's about all we could say on that one. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, it's not surprising. And then they put a DQ in. So it's, it's not surprising that they blew their fan base completely away. I've lost count of the DQs on this match, on this, this card. I think all of them are DQs. I'll, I'll, that one is actually the third disqualification, and there's been a count out. You, you can't. It's not sustainable to do this, Vern. <sighs> I think he. he I, th- I think he probably knows now. <laughs> I, I, I give the man credit. He didn't go down like without a fight. I'm sure at some point Vince went, "Come on, lad, tell me the territory, and you can you can come work for me." And all right, fair enough. He went, you know what? No, I'm, I can do this. 
but he just doesn't evolve from what worked, and this shows it that he just. And this is part of the reason we did this kind of like murderously horrendous uh, podcast was due to the fact that we wanted to see how they fought, and actually they didn't. They just rolled over and just let Vince win because they refused to change tactics. Yeah, they fought by trying to stay shit and hoping people wouldn't notice. Yeah, as opposed to go, hold on, he's doing different. But no, no. Ugh. Next. No. Well, the next is the World Heavyweight Championship being defended by Stan Hansen defending up against the babyface Nick Bockwinkle. Now, I was kind of looking forward to this. I've not seen a lot of Stan Hansen. I mean, he does look like a man that smells quite horrific. And Nick Botwinkle, as far as I can tell, could always wrestle. So this should be relatively good. On the way to the ring, Stan Hansen stomps on Larry Nelson and beats on him a little bit, which is pretty funny, actually. <laughs> I'm assuming Larry El- Nelson didn't know it's just Vern getting him back for forgetting the round system earlier. <laughs> and before the match starts, I make the note that Nick Bockwinkle looks like the fittest dad on the beach of um, Ibiza or somewhere here. He's tanned and toned, but old-looking all at the same time. In, in comparison to Harley and Pedro of earlier, this guy isn't in the pub where you don't go in and have a drink. He's in a wine bar, still wearing a shirt that fits nicely. <laughs> um, he's holding off Stan Hansen with a whip at the start here. When that does finish up, they brawl along the outside, and there's a really good brawling backwards and forwards start. Um, nothing big moves-wise, but the intensity and the crowd heat was quite good for the start of this match. Yeah, the crowd had- want this and, and they start they these two guys know that this is how to start i reckon they uh they've summed it up and i think they've seen what's gone on before and it's like come on then let's 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 try and do something good with what we've been given definitely um hansen hits a nice elbow and a snap mare for a two count um larry nelson eventually composes himself and gets back on commentary and begins outright cheering for nick buckwinkle Stan Hansen hits a slam and Bockwinkle hits a sunset flip for a two before working on the arm and then just unloading on him. He's holding his arm up while Hansen's on his knees and just kicking him in the chest, a little bit like Daniel Bryan's kicks, but not as theatrical. It was a pretty cool spot, actually. He locks on a sleeper, but Hansen gets to the ropes. They brawl some more. Hansen hits a bit of a hot shot maneuver for a two count and then a backbreaker. Bockwinkle comes back with a backdrop and a slam for a two. They then bump the referee and my spidey senses start to tingle, um, but the match carries on for now. Buckwinkle hits a pile driver, but Hanson gets out of there. Hanson hits him with a backdrop uh, over the top rope to the floor, and we get a disqualification finish. Oh, for fuck's sake. This is this is, this is their WrestleMania. This is their match. This is their title. And they do a DQ finish. Uh I don't I don't understand what the mentality was. If Nick Bockwinkle loses by Stan Hansen cheating, it's still a loss, but the top rope DQ is just, oh, he gets spammed more than uh, running tackles in a WWE game. It's just, it just, it winds me up something chronic. And they, it, I think it's more so because I'm watching it knowing that the AWA goes out of business. And you, you want to sort of like pause it and just grab Vern and shake him and go, well, not shake him because... I probably wouldn't help him later on in life. But sort of like maybe just have a good talking to him and say, look, all you need to do is this and this. And the business that you obviously love will stay uh, relatively, you could, you might, you might stay in business, but 
you can't. And I think that's what frustrates me. Uh, that, that, that you can't fix it. It's a set moment in time to quote Doctor Who. The AWA goes out of business, and this is one of the reasons why. Granted, there's been 12 matches on the card, but this is still the fifth non-finish so far. Four disqualifications and a count-out. It's just awful, awful stuff. I mean, there's a good brawl between them after the match, but seriously, like this should not have happened like this. Um, Buckwinkle cuts a promo after the match, um, saying that the board of directors or whoever they are will more than likely grant him a title rematch because of what's happened and how he's been cheated. Um, but yeah, it was um, not great, was it? No, and I... Even Bot Winkle's uh, interview is another. So you'll have to come back soon, folks. And and yeah, it, I've um. He's sorry, using, go on. They're they're trying. It's the house show business. Whereas already it's starting to change. It's the same disappointing ending, and it's almost booked like uh, booked the same as the uh, AWA show we watched from. I want to say eighty three, where it's Bot Winkle and Hogan. It's the same kind of crap. He's booked it the same. And then, spoilers, guess who's on next? I want to, um, I'm just very quickly, I, I, I want to see how long after this Stan Hansen actually had the AWA title for, because I don't think he ever dropped it. I'm just trying to find that now. Um, my memory's not the best. Um, we've got, actually, I've just looked it up here, and I I am onto something, because Hansen was actually asked to drop the title here to Bockwinkle, um, but... He didn't want to. Bubba had already appeared. Hanson, uh, sorry, had already booked Hanson to appear on the next tour of all Japan as the champion. So he basically just didn't drop it. And I don't think he ever came back with that belt. Um, no, there's something in the, the the network documentary about him uh, not dropping it. He may even drive his car over it. He does. I think the um, the rematch is booked um, against Hanson's wishes says he, he can't come, and then when he doesn't appear, they just give Bockwinkle the belt. So, yeah, um, maybe this one we can't really blame on Vern since Han- Hanson refused to do the job. But still, I mean, knowing that coming in, you probably should have put a few finishes in some of your other matches. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not that you can't have a DQ finish in a title match, but having five DQs in your entire show is, is pushing it. It pushes the uh, limit of believability. Definitely. Um, decent match all up, though. Uh, and from here, we go to what's announced on the mic as our main event, despite the fact that there's still a few matches left on the graphic. It's the Barbarian and King Kong Brody, um, otherwise known as not the Barbarian you're all thinking of. It was actually the Berserker and Bruiser Brody taking on high-flying Greg Gagne and Jimmy Superfly Snooker. I thought I was... Uh... Amazed to see Snooker in this. I thought he was still with the uh, WWF at this point, but obviously not. I, I guess uh, 86. I mean, he was pretty old when we started this in 83, so I'm I, I, doing the timeline. I'm not entirely surprised. Uh, uh, and who would have thought Greg Gagne in the uh, in the main event? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> big surprise there. Snooker, I believe, floats out for a couple of years before coming back in the in the late 80s or even 1990 for a brief run of another year or two. Um, Snooker, of course, is in to replace the injured Jerry Blackwell, so thank God for that because I'd much rather see Jimmy Snooker. Um, and if the baby faces win, Vern Gagne gets 10 minutes in the cage with Sheik Adnan KC. So, you know, something to look forward to. Hopefully the baby faces lose. Yeah, again, it's my point of telegraphing what's going to happen before 
it happens. You sit down, they tell you the uh, stipulation, and you think, mm, is Vern going to wrestle or not? Well, he's got his pants on, so he's ready. Yep. The heels double-team Greg early on, including a series of really nice-looking big boots. Um, Snooker comes in and hits a chop and a back suplex for a two. Greg Garnier comes off the top rope. Um, I should have mentioned, sorry, this is in, in the steel cage. Greg Garnier comes off the top rope, aided by the steel cage with a big knee drop. Um, Brody hits a nice backbreaker and then a big pile driver, but Snooker makes a save. We get a hot tag to Snooker. Uh, he comes in and throws the Brodies into the cage. Um, King Kong is busted wide open. Snooker hits a slam and a top rope headbutt, but uh, the Barbarian makes a save. We get a double team on Snooker for a while, uh, but then a double drop kick and a double suplex by the baby faces. Snooker um, accidentally comes off the top and hits a headbutt to Greg Garnier. King Kong hits a drop kick and Snooker being held by the Barbarian. Um, they actually both tumble over Greg Garnier, who was on all fours, and during the fall, he locks up... Um, the Barbarian for the pinfall. So, interesting finish there. Um, a heel double team backfires and they pick a snap victory. So, at least it wasn't a disqualification. But, um, yeah, a bit of a, a weird one. After the match, all four of them brawl and they brawl out of the cage into the crowd, allowing a smooth transition into our next match. But before we get there, what did you think about this one? It was going reasonably well. And then for, there's just a shit comedy finish, finish in there that seems to come out of nowhere. It, it, it's the banana skin, and I can't remember who gets eliminated by banana skin in a Survivor Series or a Royal Rumble. I seem to remember that story. It's it's that kind of comedy that seems out of place with the rest of the match. Again, I, I, I think wrestlers had far more clout to say what they were and weren't going to do, but, you know, did it make anyone look better, this finish? It just makes the heels look stupid and the, the, the faces look like they can't win without sort of like look on their side. They don't come across as being strong. Uh, and then it just comes off as a second, as basically a second thought to get Vern in the cage. Yeah, it was, it was pretty poor. Um, they work their way out of the cage into the crowd and Vern and Adnan come in and they start their match. Vern Kanye is in his wrestling tights and Lord help us. He's far, far too old for this now. Yeah, he should not be wrestling in that attire. I mean, again, not to not rip someone for their appearance, but it's it's the whole look. He's he's not. He's obviously maybe not a gym man, uh, but it it just looks like I don't know. He looks like a teacher. He doesn't look like a super. <laughs> Nick Bonkwinkle couldn't be anything but a wrestler if you said pick a wrestler out. Vern looks like a geography teacher. His his hair. And he's like, being a bald man myself, he only has one choice, and it's shave it. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty brutal. Uh, he strips down the Sheik as well, who eventually is brought down to a, um, a singlet wrestling attire, which is slightly better than Vern's. Well, at least it covers him a little bit. Um, and then they have their little old man cage match, which is pretty rough, goes for a few minutes. And Vern wins this, you know, vicious revenge cage blood feud with a small package. Um, just fucking brutal. And it gets my dick move of the week, Vern Gagne. Your company's dying. People are leaving for brighter, younger, newer things. And you put yourself 
into the cage in one of the prime spots on the show for another victory and then do a stupid fucking promo afterwards talking about how, oh, I hope it's my last time. No, you don't, Vern. No, you don't. You are a dickhead. Yeah, and even his... Uh, if this is supposed to be some kind of blood feud, his promo at the end of it isn't... Does is completely out of sync with what we've just seen. It's, it, it's, uh, it's far too light-hearted. For, for what you've seen, he, 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 I mean, he's, he's bleeding like a stuck pig. He's old, is the old sheik. And Vern's like, Yeah, nice one, done. I hope I don't have to wrestle again. Woo! It just doesn't, it doesn't feel like a hard fought battle. That's so disingenuous and such bullshit. Yeah, and he's, he, there are people on this card he could have made money with. Yeah, and then we go to another cage match despite the main event and the follow-up angle already having taken place. It's the Fabulous Freebirds taking on the Legion of Doom, um, which I found strange. Um, Certainly would have preferred to have some of the last bullshit cut off and a bit more time for this one. Um, But when we do start, almost the first move of the match is a pile driver from Michael Hayes, which if you've ever seen an LOD match, you know Hawk's going to pop right back up from a no-sell. He hits a press slam and a top rope splash, which I found surprising. Animal hits a power slam for a two and a press slam in a complete domination by the LOD. Uh, Hayes eventually locks on a figure four for some heel offense. They brawl all four men for a moment. Hayes nails Garvin by accident and Animal pins him for a one, two, three and a very cold ending to a match that never really had any heat. I mean, the faces got their early domination, which you normally see in a tag match, but the Heels never really got a prolonged heat spot, so this never really got a chance to build to anything. No, and another shitty finish. Yeah, uh, uh, accidental. No doomsday device here either. No, it's just... uh, I I just think there was too much power uh, booking finishes, so you've got all this bollocks trying to keep wrestlers hot. Uh, And I'm sorry, I think in this match, the free birds should just be there to get pinned. I, I, I know the free birds get a lot, of uh, credit and a lot of uh, generally good uh, press from their time, but I've, I've again not watching it week to week. I just I don't understand what what they had. If you compare it, I and mean, it's not maybe an odd comparison, but when the New Age Outlaws come out, if I was to show someone that now, you would think these are a big thing, just the whole entrance. Whereas the Freebirds, I never, I don't. If it's the way it's marketed at the time, I don't get that feeling. Which seems weird, given how many people say that the Freebirds were amazing. Yeah, I guess we'd probably have to watch them in in Dallas with the Von Erics or something like that. Um, it's about this time of the show that I got really upset, and I realised that through six hours of wrestling, we've seen the LOD with no Doomsday Device, Stan Hansen with no Lariat, Jimmy Snooker with no Top Rope Splash, Hulk Hogan with no Leg Drop, and Jake Roberts with no DDT. Yeah, yeah, uh, we weren't uh, given a plethora of finishes here. No, um, but yeah, that concludes Wrestle Rock '86, a three-hour, forty-one-minute marathon of of wrestling. Um, what are your overall thoughts on that one? Fucking shocking! <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> fucking shocking! I, I often when we do these, I can take that wrestling's different at the time, uh, as in the actual in-ring product. It's uh, it's just what it is, you know. Music and films and everything else, TV. Comedy was all different. It's just, it's part of history. But the 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 amount of crap finishes that were reused just completely and utterly killed this show for me. I don't like starting matches knowing that this will 
because of who's in it, uh, this will be a DQ. Uh, and I think that's it. And I think, think part another part of it is, as I said earlier, the frustration knowing that this is a company on its arse or about to be on its arse that had a lot of good talent and they do nothing with it. And they probably had enough money and fans to keep the talent if they'd have booked them properly and uh, changed things. But I'm not surprised that Henning, Scott Hall, Hogan earlier, uh, Race, Martel, Sherry at some point. I'm not surprised they all bought. Yeah. No, you're right. You can see the writing on the wall here. LOD as well is another one. They're obviously not there much longer. Um, yeah, I think I think you're spot on there. People are leaving because they can see the writing on the wall and the guys booking and running the show don't see that. Even the Sarge. Sarge is out. Uh, yeah, pretty, there's, there's not a lot of people. Even if they don't go to the WWE, they either jump to uh, WCW or make their career in Japan. They just... They can see what... They, if you're... Uh, a wrestler, even if you're Nick Bockwinkle and you see that Vern is basically booking himself in the same uh, kind of thing he did in 83 at the end of the pay-per-view, you're going to be like, yeah, fuck this. I'm out of here. I've, I'm, I, I'll try elsewhere because I'm never going to beat, I'm never going to beat Vern. Vern is always going to be the top of the pile, even though he, uh, he shouldn't be. And even the fans are probably starting to you can only get so many return pops. It's the worst thing that Foley has done is return all the time. Uh, and this is what Vern's doing. And you just lose your uh, interest in it. And, and, and ultimately, that's what kills it. And, and you can see it here. So I don't think it's great. And I think it's more frustrating knowing that part of the reason we have a wrestling set up now in the, uh, in the world is because of you know one man's stubbornness. Yep, I agree. So that being said, um, should we see if they actually manage to pull out a category or two or whether or not it's a bit of a whitewash the other direction? Uh, yeah, let's give it a go. Right, well, I have gone with production value as a clear win to the WWF. Um, they managed to have a big crowd, make it look like a big crowd and keep the action short and not bore me to tears. Um Bit of a, a markdown for the commentary team, but then again, the AWA had their second commentator show up halfway through the fucking show, so even they, on a bad night, beat them. Um, what What are your thoughts on production value? Again, I know that they've probably had a chance to possibly sweeten some of the WWF footage, but I just think that uh, if this was re- if the AWA was released to video, they probably just released it to video. They probably didn't even add anything. Assuming that Vern had heard of video at this point, I think the WWE <laughs> and WWF are already on their uh, their way. Uh, and I think this show shows a lot of the staples of what they started to use in stadiums going on from this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, what did you think about characters? Who do you think had the, the better characters on the night? I, I'm going to go WWE. There was, for me... There was nothing that stood out to me for the AWA uh, wrestlers. I, 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 maybe I was a bit tainted with the show itself, but I just preferred watching uh, WWF with Hogan and uh, Jake, even down to people like Junkyard Dog. Like I said, I don't get him, but he's he's got a character and a, and a, and a feeling to it. And you've got the machines as well, so... I just don't think there was anything that made me want to watch 
the characters again on the uh, the AWA show. No, I mean, if you take Hogan, <laughs> each show, each show had good names on it, but the WWF actually used there, so I'm giving them the, the victory there as well. Um, going into the next category, which is storylines, um, I thought the WWF handled their stories much better. They managed to give the crowd a hot, hot main event, which still allowed them wriggle room to make more money out of it without pissing off the crowd and having them riot. Um, and then overall through the show, most of the stories either advanced or not, nothing really concluded, but they all advanced along nicely and allowed the WWF to keep running shows with these characters. Um, AWA was just a fucking mess and they botched sh- uh, story after story. Um, do you agree with that or have you got a different take on it? Uh, I couldn't agree more. It's the same. They, uh, everything, it sounds like we're, uh, shitting on the AWA just for fun, but the WWF show just showed how you can have these kind of, uh, shows that maybe don't lead to you to a main event, uh, pay-per-view, but still mean something. It, it, it's a lot like they can't do now where they have the network specials as they call them in between the big four and you just, you can miss them and it doesn't matter. This if they look back at the big event, they could learn something even now. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, Next category up is crowd. Um, Again, I went with the WWF, not just because it's about four times bigger, but because they shot it well and it was hot. Um, There was times when the crowd was hot for the AWA, but um, there was also times when they were calling boring bullshit and (laughs) having words bleeped out that may have been racial slurs. So definitely the WWF crowd for me. What did you think? Same again. Uh, I know a lot of this is miking, but the crowd, even when they got hot for the AWA, they would immediately kill it with the finish. You know, even going into a cage match between Snooker and Garnier, uh, Bruiser Brody, who's a big, big, you know, a big name and barbarian, the crowd's a little bit dead because they've just seen Nick Bockwinkle, Bockwinkle not get the title or a, a reasonable finish against Hansen. It's just, for me, it's not comparable. Then you add in the uh, the fact that they can't even shoot it right. Yeah, I agree. Um, who did you think then for the big one wrestling? Who did you think had the the best matches on the show? WWF, it's clean sweet for me. I I thought uh, any any uh, show I watch, it's got Wahoo McDaniel's on. Sorry, Wahoo McDonald McDonald's Bulldog Brown, <laughs> uh, a crap over the top rope. Uh, Battle Royale, even the Long Riders, Larry Zabisco's boxing match, all of them. I think this is a show that actually had good wrestlers on it, or certainly people who could wrestle. But I think part of it was the stipulations and finishes they gave them. And part of it, I don't think they were told that this is a big thing. Go out. I don't want to see any house show bullshit. Uh, And that's what it feels like. So WWF, I love the Hogan, you know, you know, the Hogan match was good. I mean, that's not like Hogan match was good for Hogan. It was actually a good match. And there were a lot of other good matches, even like, I mean, I fucking hate Greg Valentine, as we know, but even that match wasn't bad. Yeah, I think definitely the WWF had the better wrestling. And I think you're right. The AWA had good wrestlers, but they did a couple of things. They booked shit finishes, they put too many matches on, and they spread the importance and time poorly amongst the guys they had that could go. You're right about Hogan as well, because I think 
it was before his matches became formulaic and the crowd were hot and this was a red hot feud. So that helped. Um, Robertson um, Steamboat was good. The bad matches were short. The good, the better wrestlers were in the, the high profile spots. Um, and the AWA just got that all wrong. So as a result, whilst neither show was blow away, WWF definitely wins every category for both of us in a complete clean sweep. Um, keeping it under two hours certainly helped. Um, presentation helped. But overall, it was just a far more enjoyable experience to watch the big event than it was to watch the AWA wrestle rock. And at the time, it was these big shows that uh, the companies were living and dying by. So a clean sweep for Vince on the way to glory. I think if you had... Wrestle Rock, the director's edit, you could have made a better show out of it, possibly. But watching it in its entirety is just a horrendous slog. It's far too long, far too uh, plodding, and far too come see next week because the house show is important. Yeah, I agree completely. That'll do it for these two shows. Um, really good to catch back up before I head overseas. Um, have you got much coming up in the future or anything you want to plug at the moment, Richie? No, mostly watching Sky TV, I reckon, and then uh, probably uh, watching some more old wrestling while uh, wondering why I do it to myself. Oh, and Red Dead Redemption, <laughs> Redemption 2 is out next week, so basically playing that until uh, my arms drop off. I'm looking forward to actually being over your side of the world so I can pick up a copy of Fire Pro Wrestling, which hasn't been released in Australia. So that'll be a nice little bonus for me picking up while I'm on my holidays. Drives me mad. I I don't understand in this day and age of uh, the world that uh, games don't get released in certain places. I think it's now available on the PlayStation Network over here, but I'm still a relic of the past. I much prefer to have a disc. I hate downloading games. Yeah, well... I mean, in the olden days, you could spend hours just reading the manual, but uh, that doesn't happen now. But uh, yeah, I like having a disc. I think it's uh, it's far better. Fire Pro is one of those. I think I had a Game Boy emulator, and I, I played it for a couple of hours. I was like, yeah, I'm not smart enough to play this. <laughs> I'm just really against downloadable content for video games. And I also hate the fact that you can buy it on the PlayStation Network, and they cut out so many different parts of buying a game and the physical, you know, the, the need for workers and factories and whatnot, and it's still not any bloody cheaper. No, and uh, I don't like the idea that the network could disappear and so can my games. It's not a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a relic of the past. I don't like playing for content, paying for content in games. I certainly don't like the uh, pre-order bonuses. So, you know, basically to get the game, which has already been created, I have to order it from Amazon game and uh, three other places to get all the content. It's just, just that's me. I could rant about this for years, let alone minutes. Yeah. And you can, loot, <laughs> loot boxes can fuck right off. 100%. Um, well, that'll do it. This one may be up before I go away, depending on how much time this week I get to edit. Um, if not, it'll be in the can for when I get back, and then you and I will get started on 1987. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to think about what we're going to watch for that one um possibly might be hard pressed to go past wrestlemania 3 but we'll have a chat about that in the near future i did notice uh the useful network suggestion of what i should watch next did suggest another awa show in 87 so i'm just saying <laughs> i believe it was uh super class yeah super class 2 i think 
All right, we'll have a look at what JCP's got to offer and make our final decision in the upcoming weeks then. Um, as usual, thank you all for listening. Get in touch with us on Twitter. Um, we're both on there and always happy for a wrestling chat. And other than that, um, it will be a slow few weeks for the podcast if this gets out before that. If not, I'll um, mention on Twitter that it's going to be a slow few weeks before this one drops. And I will talk to you all again very soon. Thank you, Richie. No problems. And I'm going to stop recording there. Stand with pride, realize that all in all, you stand tall. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. Yeah.